Hello and welcome to episode 234 of the Random Tale Podcast. I'm Jay. And our first take. Well, that was a lot of things that a lot of people said at once. <laughs> palindrome and first take is what I got out of that. And hopefully our only uh, Is one. it a palindrome? No, it's not a palindrome. Palindrome is you go backwards and forwards, and it's the same. Two, three, palindrome. Fours. Sequential. Sequential. But anyway. Uh, actually, palindrome. I've learned. We uh, First of all, I'm Jason. Oh, I don't get an introduction? Man, QC really spoiled me. Um, all right. I guess I'm Angel. <laughs> I guess I'm Kevin. No, I, I, I know I'm Kevin. I would hope you know who you are. Yeah, but um, now normally I say we have called this episode, but Kevin, I've heard your feedback, and for once it was a conversation Angel and I had that you weren't in, so you did. if you don't like this title, it's okay. We're calling this episode uh, Paper or Plastic. Angel, would you like to explain the title? Um, because you know when you go to the grocery store, sometimes they ask you. In the past, many of you okay, well, not that know this, but they used to ask you paper or plastic if you wanted a paper bag or a plastic bag. Usually, a differential in quality. Usually, in one, you're sacrificing the durability just because it's better for the earth. But in the other one, you know it's bad, but it's just more convenient. And in this case, paper would be that nice quality, but it's not as great. Well, I mean, I guess it's not as durable. But we're kind of ignoring that part conveniently. The plastic <laughs> is the part where we know it's just like straight up bad for the environment and we know we just have to get rid of it. And that's kind what of what's you... getting injected into Paper Mario. They're, yeah. They're like just... So right. they're kind of shoving this thing that is just not good for the franchise. That ultimately I feel like if there is another one that comes out next, I definitely won't be getting it on launch day. Which we'll but, discuss ooh. in a moment. But that's why it's called Paper Plastic because we are talking about paper mario and the origami king or sorry paper mario colon the origami king no and um, i don't think i've ever been asked that question paper or plastic really? i definitely yeah. have but well la banned it but i definitely was before they banned it asked that question what plastic or paper paper or plastic yeah that question verbatim oh really yeah it's very common so also another so another i angle. so i do not get to choose between both yeah, to be fair, I was—I've never been asked that. It's just always been whatever they really. Have. I've been asked that. I've been yeah. asked that. But but Where another angle, I guess not in uh, our neighborhood. Ralph's uh in Montana when I lived there. But here, when's too, the last I'm, time that you were asked that? Like, uh, before they banned plastic bags in LA. Well, how long was that? I don't know, a year or two ago. Really? Oh wow, that's super recent. Actually, Didn't you can still get you... the plastic if you're willing to I mean, pay I, for it. I mean, I still never. Well, did hmm. you ever work in? As a in CVS or something like that, Kevin? No. Or like, oh, Kevin, I worked. I worked at a supermarket before. And you yeah, did, did you do paper or plastic? No, never. It was, I guess it was in most supermarkets, plastic. like yeah, the bags are always just there, and people kind of bag their own stuff. So I guess. Or well, that's, more well, common that's what my mom. Area. That's what my mom does when she goes to Walmart. Like she takes her own, uh, like big reusable. plastic nylon, yeah, reusable bags. But there's well, for but people they still that... use plastic, but it's not like you can ask for paper. Yeah, no, you definitely can over here. Take a come west sometime and try it, uh, <laughs> but go back in time two years no, and then come there. west. So, but yeah, it. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of why we're calling it paper or plastic because we are going to talk about Paper Mario. And and another angle of the plastic thing is plastic can be fake, and it kind of feels like the the game's try the game wants to move on from being an RPG, but still has the RPG benefit. Like it's kind of faking its way into being an RPG. So that's another potential yeah, angle of the title. Worth it more just so that it go completely and it'll be a much better game. Yeah, maybe, probably. Super, I agree. I, I think it just we'll to get to that. Paper Mario at that point, but yeah. We, yeah, exactly. Oh, but we will what? get to that because that's... Oh, you have heard the phrase. 
No, no, but Fry's uh-huh. Electronics, the Fry's Electronics that I worked at did use paper bags. They didn't use plastic bags. What? Well, paper is now what's legally – you're allowed to do paper still, but you can't do plastic. And paper costs like uh-huh. $0.10 cents per bag or something. Wait, um, so paper you, – you actually have to spend money for paper? That's I believe in an effort to yeah. Nowadays, like if you want to, if you want a bag, you have to pay for it, and if you yes, don't, and you that's LA wide. No. Yeah, yeah. So I know that I know that rule, but the fact the environmentally the more environmentally conscious one is going to cost you shouldn't it be the other way where the plastic <laughs> well, no, because they outright banned plastic. You can't have plastic bags anymore as grocery store in LA County. What? But Walmart still uses it. Do they yeah, regular yeah. like cheap yeah, the plastic? Walmart, yeah, the Walmart across my street still uses. Maybe it's it. not yeah, like uh, county wide. It's definitely the South Bay. Like it's definitely. Yeah, yeah I was about to ask because I like, I went to the comic book store and they still give me plastic bags as usual. So I guess it's not just supermarkets. I, I don't know, guys. I, I just did research for Nintendo topics. I don't know what's going on with supermarkets. No, no I mean, I mean, when I think you're wrong, it's <laughs> I like know. no, I know. Well, I I'm, know. I'm just kind of surprised know. that. I mean, I know I heard that, so I know that's like definitely a thing. But I guess I'm just surprised that. How not enforced it's being? I guarantee you there are stipulations that allow it to, uh, you know, allow people to find loopholes. Mm, I guess if they're not ordering over a certain amount of bags, I guess that makes sense. Because, I mean, Possibly. obviously the comic book store is going to have much less traffic than, like, a supermarket like Ralph's or your Luckies and uh, right. Keg and Bottles and whatnot. Single-use plastic carryout bags at stores in the county's unincorporated areas and some select cities. There you go. Well, in case you're still listening, this is not Quarantine Chronicles. You're actually listening to Random We Nintendo We will movie. talk about Nintendo because not only <laughs> – yes, not only do we have Paper Mario, but we also are going to be uh, revisiting another kind of divisive game, Pokin. Remember Pokin? Pokin Tournament? It too kind of had mixed reactions, but Nintendo's going to get a fresh push this weekend. While we're talking about plastic bags, people are playing Pokin for free in a trial period for Switch Online uh, for subscribers. So we're going to be sure re- revisiting that will game. Charge you. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an L.A. County ordinance that's only applied in select cities. But um, yeah, so we, uh, we're going to be talking about the DX edition on Switch uh, and its mechanics. Um, and really, Pokin's just kind of one of those – I feel like it's one of those many, many game events that's been happening all summer long. So we're going to be talking about those and how like the idea of maybe games having a shelf life – is kind of passe now, maybe borderline dead. Like, games don't seem to, like, be one and done. They live on. So we'll talk about that. Plus, of course, we've got news, both official from Nintendo Direct Mini Partner Showcase and unofficial from the so-called Nintendo Giga Leak. And, uh, oh, did I mention that we're also going to be um, doing impressions of reverse horror game Carry On? Kevin has that for us, too, if I'm not mistaken. So, per usual, we have timestamps for all those topics and then some, but not plastic bags, at RamNintendo.com. In the blog post for this episode, or if you're on our YouTube channel at RamDetailCom, uh, they're right under the video. So, we already sort of tipped our hand about what we're going to say about Paper Mario. Let's just start there. Angel, you and I have been playing it. Um, it is paper, not plastic, but maybe it's plastic-esque in a metaphorical sense. How are you liking it? What do you think about it? Let's dive in. I mean, let's just start with the good, because um, there is a lot of good. There's a lot um, of good. I, I mean, I feel like the last three Paper Marios, like, writing-wise, except... Sticker Star, I still really enjoyed. Um, it, it just definitely felt like drier than the other ones, just coming off of Thousand Year Door. I mean, that's probably what hurt it the most. But, well, I mean, I didn't play Super Paper Mario, which is, but I'm sure the Which is your it. loss, man. That's a good game. That's a good no, game. No, no, I know. Yeah, I don't know why <laughs> yeah. I didn't play it. I think I just didn't. I think I blame Brawl. Like, Brawl kind of just consumed all Well, that games. happens with every Smash release where you just Sakurai! like the rest of the world. 
Exactly. <laughs> Sakurai releases his masterpiece, and you forget about every other game for about 18 months, and then they just carry yeah, on like but, they never existed. But, like, a pleasant expectation about this game is that you go in expecting to be entertained in the writing and the characters and just the animations and the visuals, and you definitely get that. Like, it still very much feels like the Paper Mario you wish it was visually. Maybe less so with character variety, but... You know, like but that's they, not ma- that's not fully but, their fault. No, I know. I, I, yeah, I, I'm that's I'm, I'm still not gonna com- I'm still not gonna not complain about it. I know, I know. That's a weird Nintendo. <laughs> For those who don't know, Nintendo they're making a stink about it, the developers, but um, a stink's a stronger. Yeah. But they are pointing out Nintendo's banning what... them from making custom Toad characters. They can only use if Toads are non-playable characters, like the NPC Toads you collect through the game. The reason they all have quippy one-liners now in the last few Paper Mario's is because from Sticker Star on, Nintendo told the developers at Intelligence Systems, you cannot change the design of non-playable Toads. Like, generic Toads have to look the same. They all have to be guys. They all have to, you know, they'd be different colors. No accessories, no hair, no, no whatever. No old Toad, no... No Toadsworth, toad. no Captain Toad, no Toadette, no... Uh, you know, I could just start saying random Toad names and they'd sound probably plausible. Like, no, no toad, toad. Toad's Bottom Junior, no, uh, you know, no, no Toadakin... Uh, but yeah, it's it's weird. But so yeah. Yes, to your point. But I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. So I mean, so even if the problem has a valid excuse, I mean, it is a valid excuse. It's still a problem because yes, yes. It, it does get, I don't know, just kind of a little bit dis. Uh, I don't want to say the word boring because it's not necessarily the word I'm looking for, but it gets slowly. It starts losing its magic, like after you see, like literally, like the one hundredth toad. Like, you're just kind of like, I kind of want to see a new character. Even though, like, the writing is always entertaining and, like, it always sometimes brings a smile to my face. Mm-hmm. Like, just seeing, like, very little character variety is just kind of, like, uh. but, I think the one thing oh. they did with this one that sort of counters what you're saying slightly, although it's still true, is I, I get the impression every single Toad you find and, you know, unfold so they can run away. Um, I think those are all real origami folding patterns because Nintendo put out that tweet the other day where they showed how they fold different toads and they showed what they look like, like where they are in the game. And they're not outright saying it, but they're certainly implying that like everything folded in the game can be folded in real life in the same way, which is kind of crazy because the toads, you know, take on butterfly looks and grasshopper looks and I mean, all these different origami. You say things. that, but then at first, like yeah, like that could be me, but then when you see like the ace butterfly or like the ace grasshopper or True. like. You start sure. seeing the same, even the same origami patterns. It's like, oh, yeah. I guess I've seen every way that a toad is going to be hidden. How they're going to be hidden in this area? Right. No, that's like, fair. I mean, but it is, it is like props them for circumventing the, like, the ban by doing that. that that's I thought that's that, clever. That, that's kind of why, like, it's an interesting mechanic having to find toads. You mm-hmm. also have to do that in Paper Jam, surprisingly. Um, but it was more as like a like a mini game where you had to like go and corral toads. You kind of did it all at once instead of. It being spread out throughout an entire like area of your exploration, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think I preferred more the the surprise of discoverability from the other Paper Mario games, where you don't really know what you have to be looking for or what you can find. You just find like, oh, there's a secret here, or like you hit, mm-hmm. you like whack around, and then there's like a panel that's loose. Everything mm-hmm. here is very direct, and I mean, even just by pressing the map, it tells you like, oh. You have this percentage of toads found. Like, it tells you what you're looking for, essentially. I mean, on one hand, that's kind of nice. It tells you how close you are to finding everything. But then on the other hand, like, there's no sense of discovery. It's just, like, a to-do list. It feels like I'm cleaning a room more than exploring a world. Which, I guess, is kind of how I felt about, like, 
the majority of the of the moon the moon pieces in in Odyssey. Odyssey. Like yeah, like there were some that were very cleverly hidden that I had like really fun gathering. But then literally everything else was just like a chore to get because a lot of them were very inspired. You just run into them like you're not even trying to find them and you just get so many. Like I was telling Jason, like it literally felt like they had like I was gonna use Picnic Plains or whatever it's called. Yeah, picnic it's a plains. it's a, it's it's a decently sized area, but yep. that area has a ton of toads, and a few of them are like hidden in pretty cool spots where you're like, oh, I wonder what this does. Like, oh, that's cool. It's like a little like Mario flagpole or whatever. Or like you're curious about a hole and then you go exploring more and then you find the toad. But then there are so many toads that you just find in there that it just felt like they were told like instead of all right, think of how you you can find. Think of clever places you can hide toads in. And and then they just go out and hide some toads here and there. And then they're like, all right, cool. I think I like expelled my creativity. We're done. And instead, it feels more like they're like, all right, here are like 80 toads. I don't care how you do it, but they all have to be in here. So, you know, some of them will be good. A lot of them will be like, you know, obviously simple and just kind of a chore to, do, to get through. I, I do but, think, um, to your point, though, it's they have that same problem it's not just the toads it's kind of a design choice they made in general because the same way that it's like oh here's a toto there's a toad type thing like i feel like the way that they just shove battles at you like when i was looking for the toads in picnic plains it was like i i fought a goomba i found a toad immediately there's another goomba i beat that goomba a third one came out of a bush or a tree or something as i was on the way to the second toad which was right next to the first toad and it's just like i feel like i made basically no progress in the gap of like two bushes because it's like toad goomba toad goomba toad goomba and that i don't know it just kind of yeah, you know honestly, I mean? like, 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 like battle. I mean, I guess might as well get into battles. So yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about battles. So, so battles. I mean, were always an important part of Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door, Paper Mario One, and even Super Paper Mario. Even if you weren't going into RPG style battles, you still gained experience. Like every enemy you killed, like always accounted for something. There was some sort of progress, no matter what. Even if, like. Yeah, even if it was coins or anything, like you got experience points. You're building towards something. But in this one, you either you always get coins or confetti. And usually both. that'd be great. Yeah, usually both. But you need confetti to cover up patches of just patches all over the world or and sometimes to progress the story. Very rarely do you have to though. And the problem is that when you do a battle, that gives you a ton of confetti, which is great, but the world itself also gives you a ton of confetti. Like, it feels like you're almost never running out of confetti, and the world also gives you a ton of coins as well. So, essentially, every time have... you use confetti, you're rewarded with coins. Yeah. So, like, Just you for, basically have yeah. no reason. And the battles, like I said, like, they don't give you any experience points whatsoever. So, they don't really feel like. Yeah. You just well, don't want to do them. And even in Paper yeah. Mario 1 and 2 or Thousand yeah. Your Door, even when I don't want to fight because I just want to, like, like, oh, I'm low on health. I mean, at least like that, it's like, all right. That's actually helping, serving as a mechanic to, you know, add tension because you don't want to die. I mean, the battles are super easy over on Paper Mario just because the hardest part is the puzzle mechanic in the beginning. And most of the time you could just kill all the enemies in one hit. And that's another thing. No, that's another thing. Hang on. Before you anyway that. Like, it is interesting that the sliding puzzle of lining up the enemies either in a ring or vertically, which I didn't know it could do both until I played it, which was kind of a nice surprise. But even that, like... That's the brunt of the actual strategy in the battle system. Like once you do that, once you figure it out under a time limit, I need to spin this way and I need to like slide that way. 
that's it. Like the rest is just ultimately the same kind of moves. Over you're just constantly jumping or constantly hitting with a hammer, and there's different moves and whatnot. But basically, like at that point, what dictates how well the battle's gonna go is if you line them up correctly. So if you don't line them up correctly, you're not getting max damage. If you don't line them up correctly, you're not. Um, you know, you can have a powerful item, but that's not necessarily gonna do it because ultimately, what you need to do is the sliding puzzle, yeah, which is interesting because think... that leans more on the puzzle side of it. Like I feel like Paper Mario's becoming a game about exploration and puzzles. And the puzzle mechanics there, but then they kind of guise it with a battle system after. Like, I don't mind the sliding puzzle part, but when I get to the battle, I'm like, well, what am I doing now? I already completed the puzzle. I'm just yeah, and a bunch a, of times. If, if, especially if you, like, correctly aligned everyone, you know you're yeah. going to kill everyone in one hit. So at that point, it literally just feels like a waste of time. Yeah, and I kind of, like, under... I Or go ahead. What are you going to say? No, and, and it doesn't help that, like... I mean, you get, like, spiky shoes. You could buy different types, like, of augmentations, but... It doesn't change how you attack. Like, the mm-hmm. fact that you could literally... They give you enough attacks to take out everybody. Like, literally sometimes, like, up to, like, eight enemies at once. Or 12 enemies at once. Like, literally in one go, you get to kill all of them. Or in the other Paper Mario, like, you had to get the multi-bounce attack. And that had different mechanics where you had to, like, time the bounces a lot more strictly. Because you're hitting more than one opponent. But also did less damage. You know, pretty much there's always a back and forth. Like, it's never, like... Just do the puzzle, bam, you're done. And, I mean, at least in the other Paper Marios, yeah, at least you got experience. Even if you didn't want to fight, at least you always got experience. Well, and, and in this and one, you don't. That's kind of interesting thing. Is like, to be fair here, I do sort of see the loop they're trying to go for, and it does work on some level. Like, in concept, the coins are now your experience points, and you use those coins to upgrade, quote-unquote, your abilities by going to buy new items or uh, getting new moves Which or are temporary. whatever through... <laughs> Yeah, which are temporary, but you still like you spend coins Not as to bad go as buy stickers, things. But still. Yeah, and as you and yeah, you know, that was a whole nother league. But as you go through the game, like enemies get tougher. The bosses in particular are actually pretty rewarding to fight, and those are fun. But like as you go through it, you, you're grinding for coins along the way, and you keep facing harder and harder enemies. And the coins you earn need to be spent on more and more expensive items. That's in concept what they're doing, which is ultimately an experience point system under a different name. It is a loop, but, but it's the fun. problem is, like you were saying, there are coins everywhere in the world. You get them for laying confetti down on the ground. You get them if you bonk something. You get them randomly in this situation or that situation or from a block. And from every spot you throw confetti at, every patch always yeah. gives you coins. They literally and, both like help each other. And what they could have done, and the mis- like what they yeah exactly what they could have done, they could have helped each other. They could have easily said, okay, fine, you earn confetti in battles. And you use that confetti in the world to translate it into coins to buy new items. And then the battles would have to be more critical because you need the confetti to turn around and get coins with. I think that would be great. That would give me a reason to want to do battles. It's really all it took. Or conversely, just eliminate the whole RPG battle system. Like just make all the battles. Real-time bopping. Well, yeah, like yeah, real-time bonkers or just make them staged and not as frequent. Kind of like when you find like a Goomba from saving a toad, like a very like all scripted. I right. think that way they don't come out as often, and you're not just because they do get tired pretty quickly. Like I mean, at first I was like, oh man, I didn't get to do an RPG battle versus this giant paper mache Goomba. But then mm. after seeing how battles were, I'm all like, you know what? I'm okay with this real time. And, it a few times. and that's what's interesting is yeah like the real-time uh giant paper mache enemies like i actually think those are kind of cool and feel more natural in the exploration gameplay than the disruption of going into a battle where you get things that you get in the, in the world anyway is like it's just missing the give and take loop i guess like yeah, there's no it's, 
they have two different yeah. ideas. Like, honestly, would really I would have really liked this game if they had just fully committed to the exploration part and just I agree got I rid agree. of the battle part because it's already like it, it's great like it's fun and like I even love like the way the boss battles have like that puzzle element implemented. It's mm-hmm. it's very different than what it is when you're fighting normal enemies. It's like a whole it's a whole it's its own thing, which yeah. I know, I thought those were really cool and fun. Like they definitely surprised me, but unfortunately, and I do the bulk of them are these not as interesting. Yeah, the more which... the more literal grinding. But the the thing that I, the, the thing that's crazy is I do like if they took out the balance or anything else. Like I even like the confetti system over the paint system from Color Splash. Arguably, this one's way simpler. Like Color Splash, like multiple colors and they work to power your moves in battle. And there's this whole elaborate thing. But I do kind of like that. Like here, it's just. You use it to fill in the world. It's like this simple kind of breezy thing you do to get stuff as you go. It, it's it's very much like the thousand-fold arm mechanic, which like really like – is there any real gameplay need to have you suddenly use motion controls in only preset spots like aimlessly mm-hmm. swing your arms to find a, pa- a paper seam to tear that only appears if you have to hover directly over it? There is not a need for that, but fun in kind of like a goofy way, and that's how I feel the confetti works. And I feel like if they did those with maybe real-time, like, just you bop an enemy like the paper mache guys, and then they kept the boss battles or, like, trigger events like you're saying, I think that would be kind of the balance. And I think Nintendo even figured out as they were making the game, oh, this might be a little tedious because they start, like – like, if you look at how, like, the battle system evolves, they let you basically automate them at some point. You pay for Toads to come cheer you on. You pay for Toads to essentially tell you the alignment in battle, and then you just kind of, like, let it run its course. So why not just go one step further and either have, like, a full narrative mode where they don't even have to, like, you don't even have to do battles at all, or just take battles out? Because, like, if this, to your point, Angel, if this was a full-on adventure game, I feel like it'd be so perfect. Like it'd be, super, it would be kind of breezy, but it's like kind of watching a cartoon at that point. It's really the game really puts on a show. Like the humor is really good, the meta moments and references are great, and they're deep cuts. Like someone, I saw a game explain video where someone found that the Shogun Studio music is Maple Speedway from Mario Kart Wii. That music slowed down. Like that's that's a very obscure reference to spend time to put into your Paper Mario game. But like they have all sorts of references, big and small, like that. Um, they have those musical number segments with actual like songs and lyrics and stuff, which is pretty great. Like it's all really well done. The music in general is like just really good. Um, and I think like if they just focused on that, even if it's an easier game as a result, or it's a little less, you know, maybe they do a bit better job of hiding the toads or something. I feel like that alone would be like, oh, I'm playing kind of an interactive Mario story. I would maybe take that over them like faking an RPG when it isn't really an RPG, you know. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, I would say, even if I do like, I guess this style of game overall, ignoring the battle, like one of my fondest memories of like Thousand Year Door and the First Paper Mario are the battles. Right. So it well, is kind of well, a shame that we just kind of moved away from that. But the thing is, like, if Nintendo's going to move away from it, just move away from it. I mean, like, Super Paper Mario, yeah, as I looked this up, it's yeah, among it the franchises. They just, yeah, they just made the, the change, the transition really awkward. and Yeah, and, like, they have data showing them this is the right call for the franchise from their perspective. Because Super Paper Mario is uh, the franchise's bestseller, as is, uh, at least in Japan. And lifetime sales of stickers are, are actually the highest in Japan, it's uh, let me phrase. Paper Mario is one of the best sellers. Super Paper Mario is one of the best sellers. I forgot a word. And then Sticker Star is the best seller. Um, and then the UK Origami King's already the series fastest seller. So like, there's nothing holding that. Like people are saying, I want RPGs. I want RPGs. But 
like their data is showing them just go full adventure game. So like drop the pretense at this point. If you're gonna do it, just do it. Or or at least yeah. don't give me coins and confetti every single battle. Give me one that leads to the other and make it like a, a loop. But if you do want Angel, if you do want like actual old school Paper Mario RPG gameplay, there are alternatives. There's um I haven't played it myself, but I've heard very good things about a Switch indie game called Bug Fables that seems to perfectly match the gameplay and has gotten pretty good reviews. Um, it's not, you know, it's not against Paper Mario, but the, there is an option out there. So if Nintendo's insisting on taking Paper Mario in this direction, you know, there there is things you can do. But, like, right now, like, as a person who wants the other gameplay, but, like, right now, like, ultimately what's keeping me going with this game is that it just really puts on a good show, like a really great show. And the problem is the battles are sort of like commercial breaks where they're, like, disruptive and... Uh, detracting from the experience and not really like you don't really want that in your show but i am into the main stuff enough that i think i'd probably get power through the battles like it i might actually like get far in this one i do really like the writing i I do really like the world i was planning on um throwing down the gauntlet against you until you're like oh try to beat this game before the end of the year but i feel like i'd rather make you try to beat something that feels more cohesive worth your time well, see, that's the thing is, but but that's nothing, the thing. Is nothing, like, nothing is not, but something that I would be like, like, oh man, I really want Jason to beat this game because this right. game is so awesome that I know he would like it. This one feels like, yeah, I'm down to beat it. I'm sure it'll be interesting, but I also don't mind. Like, I could have waited. I could take my time with it. It's like, yeah, yeah. I I still think of, like, for me, I yeah. still think I'm gonna keep playing it because like, I mean, the battles they are a bit tedious. The loop is kind of weird, but like, it's not like the game is like. You can kind of go on autopilot because the battles are so straightforward. Like once you do the puzzle, and I don't mind the puzzle part, like the little spinner, it's just kind of like hammering A at the right time. So like I don't – like if I had to pick a game where you had to grind, this is like the simplest grind. So I don't mind doing that if that's what it takes to get through like the, the really clever writing. And I think there's like eight musical numbers to see, and I've only, you know, I'm only a few in. So like I kind of want to get the full breadth of it because this does – this is the closest Nintendo's going to make to like a comedy, like a comedy video game. So like I – I'm very much on board with seeing where that goes. I don't know if I'll necessarily go all the way, especially if you're not throwing a gauntlet to force me. But but I'm definitely like not planning to give up on it or anything. It's still, I would say, more enjoyable than not. It's more just like these these nitpicks about their design choices are just kind of these glaring things where it's just like, ah, as I'm playing this, I know they could have done this differently, but it's not stopping me yet, at least. Mm. It sounds like it's stopping you a bit more, but it's not stopping me yet. I mean, the only reason I feel it's affecting me a little more is because... I am currently playing other games simultaneously. Right. So it does maybe kind of feel like, oh, I might as well just like, play Death Stranding more or whatever else I'm playing on my computer. Oh, or Dragon Quest XI. Like, there are things I am currently working on. So. Yeah, I got, I got nothing. I'm on a Nintendo system. There's not a single game coming out the rest of the year, as far as I'm aware, from Nintendo. So, Paper Mario it is. Paper Mario for days. Weeks, I mean, months, there are, years. There, there are more games coming out. It's just nothing Nintendo related, as far as we know. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, nothing from Nintendo. Yeah, um, um, but yeah, so there's a lot of stuff. I mean, Fight on Crab the looks cool, and that's coming out. Yeah, September fifteenth, Fight Crab. Yeah, Fight Crab. Although I might get it on Steam if it is cross-platform with Switch, or maybe both. I don't know. But yeah, it's uh, and yeah, there's a huge amount of stuff on the indie scene. I mean, like Kevin, you've been playing. I think it, it did come out this week or last week, Carrion. Uh, I'm actually not too sure. I I believe it it's was actually this week. Carrion. Is it Carrion? Carrion. Nah, I mean, I, I mean, how you I say know. it in Spanish? <laughs> but why would you say it? is it in, is it Spanish? Is the word Spanish? I don't think so. I think uh, no. the developers are. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Carrion. Oh. 
But I don't know. Yeah, carry so, on. Yeah, so what I... Because I'm not going to yeah, like, carry on. That's, that is how I pronounce it initially, though. Carry on. Yeah. Well, let's just call Karen. it the reverse horror game, because that's essentially what it is, right? Like, you're the monster instead of people running. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, just a little how disclaimer is... about this. Uh, yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Just a, just a little disclaimer. I didn't play this on the Switch. I played it on the PC how and with an Xbox you. controller. But how l- listen, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that the Switch version is just as polished. It, it, it's not like it's it's not like I'm playing The Witcher three on the yeah, PC I, and and passing it off as a as a Switch experience. I'm sure the experiences are exactly the same. Not only that, but like Devolver Digital is pretty good about making all their experiences you know on par with one another. So yeah, I think I think you're fine. <laughs> yeah. So so these are just impressions of the the game, not of uh, how it performs. Which, like I said, I'm sure it's going to be just fine. Yeah, it's a pixel art game. Can't be that yeah, game. it's a pixel art game. Yeah, so I played about an hour and a half last night because I learned that the game was on Game Pass. Okay, hold on, hold on. All right, so those are some Jason level numbers right there. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> up, up, apparently about an hour and a half. That's about like twenty five percent of the game, from what I'm hearing. I'm hearing mm-hmm. it's, it's a short game, mm-hmm. so you could pro- you could possibly beat it like in the evening. But from what I played, I really enjoyed it. With the exception of one very, very annoying issue. So, you play as uh, some alien monster that looks like a large mass of, like, bloody meat with teeth. And this comparison has been made plenty of times, but you're essentially playing the monster from John Carpenter's The Thing. I don't know if either of you... I think Angel's seen it. What about you? I've seen it. I know The Thing. Yep. Yeah. So, you know... that one actor... uh, Don't tell me the name. I forgot his name. We Do can't you know tell what you. another movie season? We're not allowed to tell you. You just said. Um, they live? No. Wait, did you see, like, the remake or the original, Angel? The 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 remake by the dude that did Halloween? John Carpenter? Oh, we're, we're, ta- well, we're talking about the original, I think. No, so that technically is a remake. The 82 one's a remake? Or 83 yeah. or whatever? No. Yeah, that is a remake. I didn't know that. Well, that one. Yeah, the, the I original is like black and name white. If you need it, if you need uh, the actor's name, it? I could tell you. Kurt Russell. Give me, give me. Or Kurt are you thinking Russell. of Wilford Brimley? We're, no, it was Kurt Russell. That's my homie. <laughs> Kurt okay. Russell. Back. Homie. Uh, you yeah, guys know back. each other? Yeah. Friend of the family. No, he's right. not. Okay. okay. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. uh... Yeah, so you're playing. You're you're essentially playing the monster from from the thing, and man, this thing. Damn it! I, I didn't want that. That wasn't a pun. That wasn't a pun. <laughs> That's beautiful. No, nope. you you've grown nope, so this, far, so much since you this, joined this podcast. This alien. Well, I'll, I'll use this alien instead. Uh, really it looks creature. awesome. Uh, yeah, creature, I guess. But I, I'm pretty sure it's an alien. It, it looks awesome. The the game, like Angel mentioned, does utilize a pixel art aesthetic, which mm-hmm. I think I've uh, been on the podcast before, and I've gone on record of saying is I'm really bored of the pixel art aesthetic. I think we all said it. <laughs> yeah. But this being the reverse horror game that it is, and that it's mm-hmm. been pitched as, it, it feels fresh in a way, because like I'm not playing some some little soldier or anything. You're going around multiple areas that range from like generic labs to mine shafts, that that sort of thing. And along the way you are feeding on scientists and very like various different types of security guards that uh have weapons and flamethrowers and, and that kind of stuff. 
mm-hmm. and you're solving like like very very easy puzzles to what I assume you're doing is trying to escape the laboratory that, that you've been stuck in you as the alien strangely enough it plays sort of like a twin stick shooter huh. which I wasn't which I was yeah I wasn't expecting I would not have guessed that from the footage yeah because essentially you're moving with the left stick but because you have so many tendrils and like you're the sticky mass of of thing you can basically move anywhere on the screen so like if you just push up you are you it's like you're floating in the air but oh. you are very clearly shooting out tendrils that are touching like the ceiling mm. so huh yeah there's no jump button or anything like that you can just freely move around the entire screen and th- and this is a, a sc- i don't know how you would you would call this like a you move from one screen to another one. It's not necessarily a side scroller. Oh, it's like a room based thing, like Castlevania or Metroid. Yeah, sure. And, and like I've heard that Binding of Isaac or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like I said, yeah, you can move anywhere, but then you aim with the right stick where you want a tendril to like latch onto you. So you're latching onto doors to open them. You're latching onto like switches to to open some door in another part of the room and like you're also latching usually you're going to be latching onto like screaming scientists that are running for their lives (laughs) when it comes to like the security guards uh they will shoot you and you will shrink in size but feeding on humans is what will pretty much replenish your mass and your health you do occasionally come across power-ups and like the one that i most recently got made me twice as big and I already felt like this indestructible force of nature. And I remember seeing me twice as big and going like, holy crap, wait till these <laughs> poor scientists get a look at me now. The game is honestly like such a power trip. Uh, you just feel impossible to kill. And and the game is sort of easy in a way where like, yeah, enemies or like the security guards will, will shoot you down pretty easily. But because of, like, how fast you are, you can just zip across the room and, like, lunge at them. And then there's there's nothing that they can really do to stop you. Right. Um, occasionally, is, is the... you... Or, sorry, go ahead. So, is there... No, no, go, go, go. Yeah, I was going to say, is, is, you, is the shrinking... Is you shrinking? Is that, like, your health meter equivalent? And then if you shrink too small, you're stopped at that point? Like, how... Uh, is there yeah, a way so, to lose? So, <laughs> yeah, there is. You can, you can absolutely get killed by the guards. By, by them just shooting at you. Mm, okay. um, so you do just then, shrink into nothing, essentially. Essentially, yeah. And then yeah. there are multiple, there are multiple like, cracks in the walls of, like, this laboratory where mm-hmm. you will... Uh, I forget the exact wording that they use, but you're essentially embedding yourself into the wall and you're making these pockets of, like, more fleshy thing... I don't know, alien, I guess? Which you can then uh, return to and grow back to like regular, regular mass, oh. and then they and they they also act as as uh, save points or checkpoints, and then whenever you do that, you yeah, you're 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 making little pockets of of alien that you can uh, go back to. Uh, so then, like oh, occasionally you will have you will play a flashback. In which you are a scientist who I assume is going to like originally find this monster, um, mm-hmm. and you could tell that's a flashback because the the screen gets all like dreamy. No, it's it's more like it has like a 
like a watery filter. Oh, and like, like the a foggy filter thing. Yeah, going. that yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, but like I didn't get far enough to confirm that's what's going to happen. I'm just going to assume it is. Uh, Seems like a safe bet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, uh, let me give just a quick shout out to the music and the sound design. The music is great. It's like very orchestral. It it does give that like oh this is a horror game and there's like like let's say you were one of the security guards and you heard this music it's like oh you I'm going to find like these scary creatures that are just gonna nail me but it's funny how like like we've stated it, this is a reverse horror game it's almost like your theme song and not mm-hmm. just. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not just uh, so it's almost some... like an empowering, like yeah, I'm in a zone sort of thing versus scary yeah, absolutely, music. and yeah. and like the sounds that you make while traversing and latching onto humans and feasting on them very much enforce the idea that you are this beast that no one is ever going to take down, right? So like like all all helping out the uh, the power trip idea of this game, where very... my gratifying oh, i'm sorry yeah oh oh it very it very much is my big issue with the game and will probably accounted for like the 30 minutes of the hour and a half that i spent playing this game last night is that there is no mini map or map whatsoever so there was very there was a there's a lot of points where i was just straight up lost huh. i had no idea where to go next there's no like arrow that's going to point you into the direction that you have to go next and then hmm. I didn't know what screen would teleport me to a new area. There's a very multiple... There's, like, a lot of little... They're not really portals, but they're just points that will take you from, like, a, ma- a mineshaft to, like, a laboratory. Mm-hmm. And then stuff like the laboratories, they're so sort of generic. Every screen just eventually blends together, and then you end up going around in circles. It legitimately frustrated me to the point where I stopped playing last night. Oh jeez! But yeah, but but luckily the game is short enough, and like I said, I only played about an hour and a half of it, so I'll probably just end up restarting the game. And now I know that that I definitely do have to navigate a bit better than I did, and not just rush through these areas. And I guess what's going to help me is that the game controls well, and the alien is a lot of fun to play with, even in the early stages of the game. So it's not like I'm just going to be treading through this this like oh this very unpowerful alien like you are just you are just a beast right from the beginning Mm -hmm. so i mean hopefully i'm gonna have more fun on the second playthrough but uh yeah that's all that's all i really got to say about karen it's it's a lot of fun i'm not sure how much it costs on the e-shop i'm gonna assume it's it's like uh, 20 dollars yeah it's 20 i I checked yeah and uh if you have a xbox game pass i don't you can uh, play it for five dollars essentially a month. So that's one. All right. Well, answer. here's a question then. So we talked about mm-hmm. two games so far that have some sort of like glaring design choice, weird bad design choice. No map and carrion, the weird battle loop in Paper Mario, and the and the no map and carrion might just be me being an idiot and like. Obviously, missing where I have to go next. Sure, sure. But but it would help. Most Metroidvania game structure like that do have a map. Yeah, so. like Cas- a Castlevania will have like a will show you what room you're yeah. in and stuff like that. So yeah, so I, I would say the alien, the alien doesn't know where he is. If that's he's an alien, point. maybe he has sci-fi technology. Oh, that's true. 
All right, so maybe it's not a design choice. I mean, in most a... games that are Metroidvania, usually you get a map of some sort. Like yes, a, maybe you will. You know, in story. That. Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, maybe I'll get to it. Uh, I will update. All right, sounds good. But yeah, I'll I was going to say, let's the say there's... Random Nintendo, if I do come across some, some map technology. Just blur it out, like when we start the episode. Hello and welcome to episode. Just be like, there's a map. That's all you need to do. Yeah, <laughs> there's I'll, a map. I'll, I will do it. <laughs> uh, yes, please. Uh, but yeah, so we talked about two games that maybe okay one maybe has a design choice that's questionable one certainly does angel as you've been revisiting poking tournament or as my notes here for some reason wrote poker tournament dx um is there any sort of flaw like that does poking have that issue or is Uh, it like a pretty well-rounded thing no it it definitely has an issue and it's kind of unfortunate because it's a game i really 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 want to love but I just can't, which, mm-hmm. you know, that always just hurts more when, you know, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about ARMS. Like, I love the world. I love everything about it. I just can't get into the gameplay. Like, the gameplay is just... Have missing. you played the Tekken games? I have. Um, do you, there do were you, ne- does it does it control similarly to it? No, <laughs> not at all. Okay. They're like a different beast. Um, so this game... Like, most fighting games have a built-in rock-paper-scissors mechanic that, as you know, it's like basic attacks beat shield. No, no, shield beats basic attacks. Basic attacks beat grab. Grabs beat shield. In this game, you have counters beat normal attacks. Grabs beat counters. But, um, what is it? I guess shields beat normal attacks. So, you know, you have those three things. And normally, like... Never like those types of games. And normally, like, that's okay. Like, even Smash Brothers has that. But it never really feels like it. Like, because usually you're doing a bunch of other things at the same time. And it's... The gameplay loop is just very... It's just designed in a more interesting way, I guess I'll just say it. But this one, I feel is like... It's way... Like, the rapid precision mechanic is, like, front and center. Like, almost to the point where... It literally feels like every time you get near your opponent... It's like you're playing rock, paper, scissors. Like, it doesn't really feel like I'm doing anything strategic. It just feels like, oh, man, are they about? Are they going to throw out a counter? Or are they going to throw out an attack? Like, you're just kind of guessing. And I, I guess because everything is, like, full-on committal, there aren't any moves that you could just kind of throw out to bait stuff out. It's like, no, if you throw out anything, you're going to get punished for it or, I guess, rewarded for it. But it just makes it feel, like, completely luck-based. And I feel like other fighting games find this nicer balance where it just doesn't feel that way. And it's kind of hard to explain, but essentially... I mean, unless like you're playing the game, but it just doesn't make the game feel as rewarding. Like, it makes losing feel not that satisfying, and it makes winning feel not that satisfying. And it doesn't really help that, on top of that representative mechanic, you do have other characters that... I don't know why this game of all games, but it's like a projectile hell with some characters. Like, they just... They could just stay on the other side of the map and literally just like flood the field with projectiles and just kind of live there. So did they, unless you, did, did they try to address that with the new characters? Because like the Switch one, because we played it on Wii U back in the day and talked about them, but the Switch one, I think has five different char- five new characters or something like that. Like, do those guys double down on the projectiles, or is it kind of a course correct? Would you say? It's. I mean, I guess it's like. They're definitely more balanced out, but the problem mm. with the ones with, that use projectiles is that they're still, like, really, really good. Like, mm. there's still no reason no one's not going to pick 
those Pokemon online, which right. sucks. Like, you're always going to fight Chandelures, you're always going to fight Suicunes, and they're always just going to stay on the other side of the stage and just, like, spam projectiles at you. And it sucks because, or if, you have, or if you're fighting a Mewtwo, like, you might as well just, like, give up right then and there. But, <laughs> oh, man, but this game, like, I love that it tries to do, it incorporates, like, 2D and 3D, which is awesome. Like, you have, the game literally starts in a 3D arena-ish mode that's, you know, faster paced than your Tekkens and some other 3D fighters. But then if you do certain attacks, the game will shift into a 2D perspective, which is also really awesome. Like, it's just a really cool idea that I thought, like, at least that part was executed well. It just kind of sucks that the rock, paper, scissors mechanic of it just kind of overtook the fun aspect of it. Like, I just I just can't get into it. I'm sure maybe, I, maybe I'm missing something, but... Like it's interesting because even like it even has one of my favorite like literally like top six favorite Pokemon like as a playable character, which just makes it hurt even more because it's like they were so close. Even like and one of the assists is like another one of my tops is like literally like my I have a team in Pokemon that's comprised of my ultimate favorite Pokemon. It just happened to work out perfectly nice, and I could literally have like a Weavile with a Rotom assist, but. It just looks that I just can't get into the game, and that's just that's just that, a, that's, a sad story, I guess. It's strange because like if it's a game that's that simple on surface and that spammable with projectiles, I wonder why Nintendo chose this to be like, yeah, Switch Online subscribers, here you go for a week, like check it out if it doesn't you know hit the mark, so to speak. Yeah. But, which which know. honestly is what I find more more interesting than Pokken itself uh, like you, more interesting than like your thoughts on Pokken itself because I kind of knew where you stood from when we played it on Wii U is to me the trial existed like the entire concept of Nintendo doing this like there have been it's one of just like many many uh, in game or like game specific events that Nintendo's been doing this summer events to kind of like drum up activities around the current Switch lineup which on like some level you can be cynical and say it's because they had no new games to sell. And of course that's part of it. We still don't know what's coming out this year. Uh, but I mean, like, not only did they do, like, the Pokken trial, but then they, they were confident enough that you, people are not going to feel how you feel, Angel, that they have a 30%, 30% discount on the full game, and the discount runs for a week on the eShop beyond the trial ending. So the trial ends, I think, Monday, so the 4th. The discount runs till the 11th that's beyond just someone liking the demo and buy it, buying it that's enough time for someone to like play the trial think they had their fill have the game lurk in their back of the mind in the back of their mind like debate it and then finally pull the trigger like six days from now and it's still on sale so they <laughs> clearly think they clearly think there's like an opportunity here but but, but like more broadly speaking i guess like it's really just interesting it's putting such a huge emphasis on constant in-game events right now i mean this weekend we had pokin but we also had um, another Tetris 99 Maximus Cup. Last weekend, we had the Mario Tennis Aces North American Open. A few weekends before that, we had Mario Kart 8 Open. Next weekend is the Arms Open. The weekend after that is a Splatfest in Splatoon. They're making like these very, very conscious efforts to turn what would have been like a one-and-done sort of game or like, oh, we'll do some DLC for six months and call it quits, which is what Pokemon basically was initially into these sort of long-term service games or, or into this idea that these games never really die. And, you know, it's not like everyone's going to participate in a Mario Tennis Open or an Arms Open or, you know, you, for example, aren't really feeling poking. But I feel like 
I, I feel like it's kind of smart strategy because anecdotally, like I've at least found myself investing in games beyond the old shelf life I would have given them because of this sort of thing. Like the 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 prime example for me is the Maximus Cup and Tetris Ninety Nine. I'm sure I've talked about it on the show before, but this latest one through Monday, so tomorrow by the time this goes live, uh, you can unlock a Paper Mario theme for the game. They've done that a bunch, but I've made it my mission weirdly for some reason to make sure I unlock Your every life single. Mission? My life Damn. mission is to unlock every single theme these Maximus Cups offer for as long as they do them. Like Nintendo announces these things about a week in advance. As soon as I see it, I have a reminder in my phone. I'm there playing it a week later. I'm 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 making it like my thing. It was kind of funny is that like I'll only do it when there's a theme involved. They did a couple of Maximus Cups early on where they were just for points, like a hundred, you know, a thousand gold coins or whatever, and I completely skipped them. But then like on the flip side of that. You know, we have someone like you, Angel, who's like, oh, it's a, it's a fighting game. I'm going to try that or it's a competitive thing. Like you're tuning into those events while I'm tuning into the other ones, but they're balancing them so well. That, like there's sort of constantly stuff going on for both of us. I mean you – like the Splatoon opens that you – I was there for the ride, but you were the one that was like, yeah, guys, we need to take our Wednesday crew and like give this a shot. You're pretty gung-ho about it, right? So it just seems – I guess to my point that like – there's a situation where Nintendo's kind of catering to so many different games, so many different people at once, that sort of feels like, in general, like, games don't really age anymore, I guess. Like, they're kind of bringing up old... Like, ARMS would have been dead a generation ago by now. Pokemon would have been dead a generation ago by now. But they keep kind of, like, re-churning them a little. Like, do, do you get that impression, too, that, like, the idea of, like, games having a shelf life or, like, dying at a certain point, it's kind of, like, done like it seems like lifespans have gotten longer nowadays yeah a lot of companies just feel like they don't let anything die i feel like the last of us part one just like kept getting revived i feel like it just like never really stopped being always sold kind of i mean and not even like counting like evergreen titles like i guess like nintendo calls them like mario kart or new super mario brothers right like it just felt like games kept getting released and treated like they just came out like, you know, like God of War getting that remaster on PS4, um, mm-hmm. Last of Us getting that remaster, um, like the Nathan Drake collection, like everything just constantly getting re-released and like, reshelled and repackaged. And it's interesting because these were also games that didn't have any DLC or, or if they did, like it was just like one time, but it was pretty much like a self-contained game, but it just became, I guess the game became a service in and of itself. I don't know. It's kind of Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because like if you look back at like, Think about, like, when we were younger. Like, the industry was so obsessed with the idea of, like, the next big game. Like, you're kind of saying, like, if you if you wanted older titles back in the day, really your only option was on your own accord to go dig them out at a GameStop and buy them used or maybe find them in a bargain bin or a Black Friday deal at Best Buy or Circuit City. Like, I remember in high school, I used to almost every single weekend end up in one of those big box electronic stores, and I'd just be browsing the games because, like, I was so, like, oh, I need to get the first part of games as soon as they come out. I have every Nintendo game as soon as it comes out. There are a ton of third-party ones that I missed out on, so I'd like kind of make it a mission to like see if there's any good ones on sale, and it'd be like a weekly little journey for me. Like I don't know if you guys did something similar, but for a good chunk of high school, I was doing that pretty often. Um, I mean, I guess when I got my PS3 and PS4, I definitely like taking trips to GameStop or Best Buy just to look at old games, just to see like, especially because by then there were so many games that were way cheaper. But that's also kind of a little different. Yeah, well, I think. I think I think what's telling there is um, it, it, you're right. They were cheaper, and they were cheaper because the the publishers basically put them out there and were just like, "We're done with this. One and done. It's out." We like did even new. They were like rush. twenty bucks. 
or something. Yeah, like that. and then and you know who made it twenty bucks? Like the publishers didn't really pay attention to it at that point. It was basically like the the retailers coming in and saying like, "Look at these ten dollar doorbusters," or "Come check out the bargain bin," or whatever. It wasn't like Sony or Nintendo would stick you know the GameCube port of Crazy Taxi in a commercial for GameCube two years after the GameCube and the game came out. It was Best Buy or Circus City putting in their Christmas flyer, "We got it for ten bucks," and that was kind of how these games lived on beyond that initial push. I feel like now it seems like you know what we're seeing with Nintendo and what others doing the platform the platform holders are essentially doing what the box stores used to do like in many different ways but you know you have games as services you have services with games you have paid DLC you have free updates a game that a game is like one and done is not like a thing anymore with gaming I feel like even if you look at games that still as you point out Angel don't have DLC or you know just our remaster on ps4 you don't even need the remaster think of services like playstation plus or xbox live gold or even stadia they're actively highlighting all these older games that have been around for years as these things you've now got to try through the service they're still worth yeah. your time all these years it, later i like i guess kind, well, Nintendo kind I mean, of does it too with like it, it the is. switch online lineup but yeah like i do appreciate that but i mean i'm not even going to get into that like other side of the conversation but you know, just, like, sell me the games I want individually, but it is cool that they also have that alternative where instead of just buying them one by one, you do have all of them as, you know, the service where you could just try them and sample them out. Yeah. Although it would be nice if, like, you know, if there was one that you liked a little more, you could pay for it, so you could pay play it offline, but I guess that's asking for too much. <laughs> but, yeah, it is just interesting. But to kind of that point, even to, uh, I guess, you Kevin, you are talking about game... Yeah, but yeah, seriously. But even Kevin, you were talking about like Game Pass a little bit ago, and that's how you're playing Carry On. Like, it's it's interesting to kind of go back to the question of, I guess, like why games agreed, are we're calling it Carry On, whatever it is. What did I call it? Did I call it Carry, carry On. Yeah, Carry On. Yeah, you know, like what you have on an airplane, you have a Carry On. But um, I think like what's interesting is this entire timelessness is probably stemming from the fact that like the industry's too big for one thing now. Like, there's too many. The industry is too diverse now. I, I saw some NPD stat the other week that three out of every four Americans play video games now in some capacity. That's 244 million people. And they're all going to consume games differently, obviously. It's not like a one-size-fits-all approach, which of course means, I guess by default, games are going to have different ways to be sold, different shelf lives. Like, not everyone's up on every game at the same time or accessing them the same way. So as a result, like, you know, games, they either need to make a bigger splash or a prolonged splash for the publisher to now get what they consider the most bang for their buck. So, like, you can make a bigger splash if you're, you know, going to be a huge game of service and you constantly are in the news. You can make a prolonged splash if you're kind of a one-and-done, but then you get a remaster, but then you're on PlayStation Plus, but then you're included in Game Pass, but then you're doing this, but then you're doing that. So it's it's, it's just kind of interesting because you can see it, like, I know I'm going on a rant here. Like, we're going way down this rabbit hole. Sorry, guys. But um, you could kind of see it already, like, in games that used to be so the old strategy are now so not i think the most direct example is last week was the xbox game showcase right and uh the halo studio three four three that the number they use three four three yeah three four three yeah they were saying that like you know that every halo has been a direct sequel to the last halo is a self-contained game maybe some dlc that was that they're saying that the next halo infinite is going to be the base for the next 10 years of stories gameplay mechanics what have you they're basically destining it and i think that right there hammers home the point because like halo fan halo has traditionally been a game of finite releases 
is one and done. But now, literally in its title, it's infinite. It's, it's you know, it's its own base. It's its own platform. And they're already announcing things. Like on Friday, they said, oh, yeah, it's got a free-to-play multiplayer. So, like, a game that had a huge splash was one of the biggest franchises in, like, the mid-2000s. Now, if it wants to have that big splash and be one of those franchises, you got to go this new route. Or, like, Call of Duty. Like, they have, like, a free-to-play one, a premium one, a mobile one, and they all live concurrently with one another and target different demos. And, of course, there's some overlap. But, like, the idea of, like, Call of Duty just being, oh, yeah, there's a yearly Call of Duty game, and that's it. And that game lasts for a little while, and then you move on to the next one. That's kind of gone. Like, games don't have this, like, defined time span anymore. It's weird. Maybe not weird, but it's different. And it doesn't even have to be, like, drastic either. I mean, I feel like one, one kind of weird one is, like, look at something small like the number of playable characters in Mario Kart Tour or Dr. Mario World compared to, like, the core releases back in the day. Like, the only reason I think we now have absurd characters... I'd rather like, not think about those games. Yeah, but but honestly, like the only reason we have absurd characters like Doctor Doctor Goomba Tower is because Ugh. they need to keep iterating on the game. They need to keep people playing, and they need to keep adding more things so people keep checking it out. Thus, we get Doctor Goomba Tower. Although I know Angel, you have some strong feelings about Doctor Goomba Tower. I mean, it's just lazy. I mean, well, I don't know. I mean, what were they called? Were they called Doctor Goomba or were they called Doctor Goomba Tower? It's Doctor Goomba Tower. Uh, that's where the laziness comes in, I think. If it was Dr. Yeah. Goomba, but his trench coat was open, that'd be one. So for those who haven't seen I mean, Dr. Like, Goomba Tower, I mean, they, they, paint a they picture decided, of what he they, looks like. Yeah, well, not only that, but I mean, they decided to give these characters PhDs. So, <laughs> like, which obviously, like, I feel that allows me to question, like, why? Like, yeah, it's fine. A Goomba, system. The, yeah, there could be a Dr. Goomba, sure. Um, but how, why is Dr. Goomba Tower, like, a different character? I mean, also, I mean, I think the one that bothers me even more, honestly, is just the fact that you have a Dr. Fire Peach. It's like, how is she different from normal Peach? Or is she treated like, is she, like, an actual different person? Does she, did she have to, like, get her license again as, while she had her fire ability? Because I guess they're like, oh, sorry, we don't recognize you. You must be a brand new doctor. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I just don't know. But like these, I think you're these, thinking a little too deep into it. I, <laughs> no, I, mean, I, yeah. I will give him credit about Dr. Goomba Tower, though, because like, we had a whole text chain about this the other day. But Dr. Goomba, the concept, for those who haven't seen him, first of all, imagine if you don't play Dr. Mario World and you get that email from Nintendo the other day where it's like, check out these new characters. And it's Dr. Fire Peach, Dr. Goomba Tower, and Dr. Baby Wario. Like, if I wasn't that close to the ground with like Nintendo stuff, I'd be like, wait. What? Like, what What alternate reality is this? But the problem with Dr. Goomba Tower, for those who haven't seen him, it's uh, the Goomba Tower from Mario Odyssey and other Mario games, and it's three of them in a trench coat. You know, that old trope of three in a trench coat. It's a baby pretending – it's kids pretending to be an adult. It's Vincent Adultman in, Bo, in BoJack. But the thing is, um, usually they don't call themselves Dr. Three Kids in a Trench Coat. They call themselves Dr. whatever, Adult Man. So to have it literally be Dr. Goomba Tower and have the trench coat open to show it's three of them, it kind of doesn't work as a – well, as Angel was saying, it doesn't work as a gag. And as I was thinking it doesn't work in any sense yeah, of reality like, within I mean, that if, world. If they, if, they, if they wanted to be – I think they get like a sensible chuckle out of me. Um, they would have had to like put, a, like put the lab coat on top of the three Goombas to make it seem like there's just one Goomba. And just call it Dr. Goomba, but clearly – it's like more than one Goomba or something else like that. 
know, yeah, and they could, get, you know, get even, honestly, with it. Like, get, show that the developers actually having fun with it instead of what seems like they're being forced to do this against their will or something. Well, and that's the thing. Like, to be fair to poor Doctor Mario World, there is some. Not all the characters are absurd. There are some cool ones. One, one, one that I thought was kind of cool is very bare bones and simple. But the franchise turns thirty, so for the anniversary, they're doing an eight bit Doctor Mario. And unlike these other ones, they have to like use a gotcha system again. If you log into the game anytime between before the end of this month, you just get eight bit Doctor Mario. And you know it again goes back to this idea that Nintendo's doing all these different events for different games at once. I mean, we just had Pokemon Go Fest last weekend as well, and there's like Mario Kart Tour has regular tours that 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 does. But what's nice with this one is it's actually like free stuff, and it's doing it to kind of drum up a new player base, a new player base, and get new players involved for the one year anniversary. But nonetheless, like. 8-Bit Dr. Mario, I that one I can accept more than Dr. Fire Peach, I guess. Yeah. At least but, the baby's hmm. a different model or something, but it is wild. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Nintendo brought on themselves, because they did Rose Gold Peach in Mario Kart, what was it, Wii? And that was that eight. was a slippery... 8? It was an yeah, 8? it was an 8. Oh, okay. Well, that was I think the, that's where they were trying to test the waters... And everybody accepted it, and they're like, "All right, we got him." <laughs> <laughs> Hook, line, and sinker. But yeah, it. Uh, I think that was the slippery slope there. Is once they did that, then people didn't mind. Well, really, if you want to go back in Nintendo history, the slippery slope. I take it back. The slippery slope was putting the babies and the adults in the same game at the same time, not explaining how there's a baby Mario and a regular Mario, and they can share a cart in Double Dash. That was probably the root of it. Because once they realize that people don't care if you repeat characters in different ways, that's when the floodgates could slow... You know, there was a trickle at first, but that's when they could... Wait, when did people not care? I mean, I guess because the game sold so well they decided that that's what the message was? I feel like it... Oh, people must love these games because of the redundant characters, not because of the awesome tracks and gameplay. You know who we're talking about right now, right? We're talking about Nintendo. That is 100,000% their logic. Yeah, the same people that... (laughs) put Chibi Robo in that same stranglehold they did Fire Emblem but actually made it make sense for Fire Emblem you're never going to get over that huh nope. I, I, we need to keep tally Kevin of how many times he brings up Chibi Robo's untimely demise of turning into a platformer I think we're at three episodes in a row non-clean quarantine yeah, chronicles so. yeah so just keep that in the back of your mind Angel uh, it's, it's one of those like you know if you get ten stamps you get a free not Chibi Robo you want, so say it seven, uh, you know, seven more times. Maybe maybe what I'll give is... you a copy of Ziplash. Hmm. I do own it already, but well, you can have a second one. In that case, I'm not giving it to you. Never mind. <laughs> and no, you're yeah, not getting my Chibi give... Robo amiibo. Yeah, like I need another one. Exactly, but uh, yeah, I guess Nintendo. Yeah, they kind of brought it on themselves. But the point I was trying to get at, and maybe a maybe example that hits a little closer home to Switch, is. You know, looking at how games evolve is what's going on with Rocket League. Because it, it went through, I think, three different revenue models in the five years this existed. Like, first it was a paid game with some regular paid DLC. Then they introduced a season pass for new DLC, but kept the premium price. And now the devs of Psyonix are saying that it's going to be free to play starting the summer with a season pass. Like, literally, you can chart the evolution wait, of wait, industry wait. I think you, I think you missed a revenue path. They were doing loot boxes, too, in there. Oh, you're right. Four. Even right, yeah, so more. more to my point, you can literally chart the evolution of industry business practices and in turning a game from a one and done into a service just inside Rocket League in only five years flat. 
like each thing they added, you know, obviously extended the game that much more. Um, and and with and you know, it's kind of nice about free to play is it's gonna gain even more features that are gonna keep it alive beyond just lifting the the paywall. It's gonna have cross platform progression. It's gonna have um, I think they're I can't remember what else they're doing. There are a couple other things they're doing along with cross platform, but they're like they're still iterating on it. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but actually, actually um, what do you guys think of the switch over to free to play? Are you in favor of it? Like we all play Rocket League. How you, how you feel about it going free to play? Doesn't matter. It's an old yeah. game. Yeah, at this point, at this point, I feel like enough people own the game that they probably saw. well. I mean, technically, this was all done because Epic bought yes, bought Psyonix. Yeah, I mean, isn't that kind of like they, how they, what happened to Team Fortress Two? Mm, it was not necessarily because then... it was a paid game, and then Valve just decided to make it free to play. But I mean, I guess I mean, I guess to the average consumer, I mean, this is kind of what this looks like. It was a paid game, yeah, and then it just became paid. I mean, yeah. it became free to play. I mean, I I'm kind of excited that's going free to play because, like, I mean, not only like because the game, you know, those of us who already bought it, we're getting all the DLC that's Rocket League branded for free. Uh, we're getting a special badge on our profiles, but also like. It's kind of going to give a shot in the arm to the game because there'd be so many new players and there's going to be so many more matches and like it's not going to necessarily have trouble matching with people. But at least when Andrew and I play on like Wednesday nights with some folks, like we have definitely gone to go match someone new and gotten the same people again. So having a bigger player base is only going to help. Having it have cross-platform progression along with cross-platform play is only going to you know make it that much more accessible for people along with the free-to-play. So like I'm I'm kind of for it. I think it's pretty cool, but. It does definitely like Rocket League is like the textbook example of how games have evolved, which is kind of kind of funny because I remember when it first came out, it was like a PlayStation Plus exclusive or something. I didn't think you know five years later it would be this its own eSport, its own you know everything, but here we are. Um, so you think well, you yeah, was kind of What? So tick with your pickle. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm on board with them doing it. Tell me where I wonder what this say? is going. I wonder what this is going to mean for cheating in the game. Is not there a cheating seen, scene? Not, is there a situation? Yeah, not that I've seen... Not that I've seen a lot of cheating going on in Rocket League, and not that I've heard a lot of stories, but I know a lot of games, when they go free-to-play, the cheaters pop up like crazy. I know, I've read articles about Destiny 2 as soon as it became free-to-play. There's a lot more cheating going on. As soon as... What's, uh, what's Valve's game... What's for dead? CSGO. CSGO. Oh, CSGO. When CSGO went free to play, a lot more cheating happened. So I wonder how this can affect that. Hmm. I guess there's going to be more cheating, is what the data seems to suggest. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, wonder, I wonder what that's going to do to legacy players. Because the other risk of going free to play is if there's an influx of new players, all the pro players are going to be like, ah, oh, I don't have any real competition because I'm going to match all these noobs, and they might ease off for a while. So. No, not necessarily. Considering that the ranks will always rank you, the ranks. Oh, which, true. That's true. That's true. Which I'm assuming those pro players will only be playing anyways. Will get ranked with people around their same skill level set. Right. I guess just the fact that they'll surpass me in 30 minutes is what makes me concerned. <laughs> like yeah. I play, but I'm not good. Um, but yeah, that'd be interesting. To see Angel the Angel can finally play it on the PC and see what I was talking about when I said that the the input delay on the Switch was insane compared to the PCs. I didn't even know I had an input delay on Switch. When we went over to... to, Yeah, when we went over to uh, 
Angel's brother-in-law's house, or I guess sister's house too, uh, when we were playing on the Switch, it didn't feel natural to me. Oh, interesting. And then, yeah. And I guess we still haven't confirmed if it was the TV that added some sort of input delay, but man, it just felt off. Like, I... noticeably off, so I wonder how playing on PC will be for, for Angel to see if to see if he sees the differences. I'm sort of hoping it's the Switch that's a problem, because then that gives me a good excuse for why I suck. Because mm. I only play on Switch. In reality, it's probably not, but that's kind of what I'm hoping. I mean, you know, it's kind of like... It, but then that leaves a whole other question of, like, does that mean anyone on Switch is always at a disadvantage? Because, like, Fortnite, that was a bad enough issue where they actually had to fork... It wasn't latency, it was uh, frame rate, but they had to fork who the Switch players play against from the consoles to the mobile. So, like, I don't know if... And if it, that is Epic, so I could see Rocket, Rocket League, if Epic feels the same way, you know, as they open the floodgates here, I could see it kind of happening there, too. Yeah. So, that would be interesting to see. But, uh, yeah, what's kind of... The, the last thought on, like, this Games Never Age thing is, um, you know, we talked about all these, like, ones where it's about monetization, right? Like, the, mon- the strategy changing or how they can get people to buy things is changing. But what's kind of crazy to me is that Regardless of how other games are doing it for paid purposes, it has it's had a ripple effect where so many other games now, like people just expect games to have longer lifespans. Like in the Nintendo sphere, you know, a game like Splatoon would have previously been a one and done release with all the content on a disc or on a cartridge, but instead it became like this rollout of content over many months, followed by its nice continued support for I think it was eighteen months with new Splatfests and in-game events, and then they said they were done with that, but now they're doubling back with that, and Nintendo's doing three more Splatfests between now and March 2021, the first of which is, I think, the chicken versus the egg Splatfest that they did before, but they're going to do it again on August 21st. Um, But yeah, it's just like... like, I I don't know. I mean, are we going to do it as a team? Is our our Splatoon team going to do it? It's not ranked or anything. It's not a tournament. Uh, I guess not, not not enough is on the line, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't have... I don't even know where I stand on chicken versus the eggs, so there's also that. But... And and uh, the thing is, like, but, the, like, the obviously having these is nice in some capacity. But, like, looking back... Like, so this is obviously a move that they did to kind of, like, make it a, have longevity in the same way that games that you pay for do. Do you think, as players of the game like this sort of drip feed of modes and weapons and events like was it okay for splatoon did it end up working out because i know when we were in the thick of it we're kind of like it feels kind of light on content but like looking back now would we have preferred it all at once and then maybe just some in-game tournaments is it like is this because this is the cookie cutter for a lot of games now i mean even animal crossing's doing it a little with their summer updates you know they just added dream suites and uh firework shows and cloud saves uh, last like three weeks ago, they did swimming, so they're doing a, a drip fee as well. Like, if this is the future of gaming, are we cool with that? Even on stuff where you're buying it all up front and they're kind of like trickling it out, arms or Splatoon style. Would you say? Uh, I don't know. I mean, is that enough for you to get back into those games? Well, it hasn't been for Animal Crossing. Um, yeah, I haven't played Animal Crossing in a little while, honestly. But it's just, it's just one of those things, like, like it's great that none of them have microtransactions, it's great that it's all still free, but I'm just sitting here thinking, like, like some games I think I guess it does make more sense for. Like, Animal Crossing, maybe it didn't get me back in, but it was good to know that, like, on some level we're all kind of in the same boat in terms of progress, and then at some level everyone gets introduced to new concepts, so it kind of keeps 
the evolution of this ecosystem of islands you can visit all sort of in lockstep. So there is something to be said for that. But I don't know. Like I feel like Arms and Splatoon, when we were in the midst of it, were like, oh, there's only a few maps, a few characters. And they did a good job like every six to eight weeks or whatever. But looking back, like I remember us saying at times it's going to be great for someone who buys the game at the end. And just thinking like, is this like, is this going to become a thing where people, every single game is just going to be basically half baked or every single game that has like a multiplayer element is going to be half baked. Like uh, to be fair, I, I don't, I, I don't think animal crossing felt half baked. There were some stuff that were definitely missing, but I never felt like, oh, it doesn't feel like the complete package. It definitely felt like a full fledged animal crossing. Yeah, no, that I... was that was more of a comment towards Arms and Splatoon. I agree about Animal Crossing. I think you get way more than sixty dollars worth in the base game. Yeah, even Splatoon two, I feel like that one is debatable, but I feel mm-hmm. like it leans more towards the. I, I Splatoon two, I felt did a much better job of feeling like a complete game. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know. Arms. <laughs> yeah, Arms. That one. Yeah, that one did. Because like. Because if you look at, like, even how games are launched, I mean, we had... What's that new Rocket thing from EA that just came out? Rocket... Rocket Arena? Rocket Arena. Yeah, Rocket... Not Rocket League. That game is having a tough time, man. Yeah, and it's not the only one. I mean, Amazon put out a a kind of squad base year, and they had to roll it back to beta just because it didn't get enough attention. What was the name of that? Oh, Crucible. Crucible. Crucible, yeah. And then, like, you know, uh, Ubi just launched Hyper something hyperscape thank you and like there's all these games that are all now doing the piecemeal and they're all of course cribbing on the same uh gameplay mechanic of you know these kind of third person like they're all fortniting essentially they're not all third person per se but they're all kind of going after that market but they're all doing the same thing where it's like let's just roll out bare bones and then we'll build on top of it and i don't know if that's good for the industry to have every major multiplayer game do this now because you have all these half-baked games and if they don't get traction do they just fizzle out? Do they go back into hiding like like uh, Amazon's did? Like it's it's very weird. Like it used to be when you got a game, you know this was like the game. Now you don't really. Or like even Fortnite, it started as a totally different type of game, and then the battle royale mode took off, and they sunsetted the other mode. So no, it's still around. Aren't they like moving it behind like some sort of paywall or something now? It's, I mean, it's always been behind a paywall. Uh, why are they doing? I read something that they're doing the other week, but um. Made or stopping updates for that mode or something. Mm-hmm. Either way, point is, like, it, it's weird that, like, the thing you get is not the thing that it ends up being more often than not now. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's a good thing. Like like we were saying, I think Animal Crossing is good, but it's just kind of, like, it's it's very foreign compared to what gaming was, you know, when we were younger. So that that was my whole rant, really. It's just interesting times in gaming. And I think, to think Pokken sparked all of this. But, um, yeah, it's just, like, kind of weird how... You can't just watch a. You can't play a game in the same way you can watch a movie as much anymore. Now games are like TV shows; they have to keep up with. But they're all competing with one another all at the same time, and you only have so many hours. Mm. So, and you know, you pick your game, but like it's harder to like dabble in multiple things than it used to be. I feel like. Well, but maybe that's just me. Yeah. I don't know how you guys necessarily feel. Uh, I feel the same. Yeah, so so I just wanted to kind of point that out since Nintendo is themselves doing it through like the twenty different game events they have this summer, um, and you know it, it ultimately like the the nice thing for us that are used to our old ways is there's still of course the idea of a news cycle and hype and you know that's still 
exists and it kind of nicely brings us to the next segment which is just that there was actual real news there was a news cycle we did get some news not from nintendo mind you because that would be crazy and you know why would nintendo tell us anything but they did host a nintendo direct about everyone else or well everyone else is way too generous they they hosted a direct mini seemingly the first of multiple new partner showcases um that told us about like five things which is very small even by mini standards there was uh cadence of hyrule an older title that's now getting dlc wwe uh 2k battlegrounds which was previously announced rogue company which is a free-to-play shooter speaking of from or not free-to-play sorry but it's a uh, squad-based uh you know service game from high-res studios uh that launched day and date with the direct mini and then two two shimigami tensei games a remake of three Ooh. and the first footage of five so, what? based on your rule, I'm going to make an assumption. I'm guessing Shimagai tends to cut your eye, Kevin. Hey, yo. Yeah, it did. So, what, what do you think because about? I never played. So, uh, about... I guess I'll talk about did, the entire thing. Uh, yeah, go for it's, it. It's great that Shimagami Tensei 3 is getting an HD remaster. I didn't play 3 when it was originally out on the PS2. It wasn't even called 3. It was called uh, Shimagami Tensei 3. No, it had no 3. Mm-hmm. It was just subtitled Nocturne. Right. Oh. Featuring Dante on from DS? the Don't Make Cry series. No, oh, on the PS2. The DS oh. got um, Shimigami Tensei 4 and up, Angel. The 3DS got Shimigami Tensei oh, yeah, 4. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, 4. Yeah, 3DS, and sorry. a sequel, and like a, its own sequel called Apocalypse, mm-hmm. which I never got around to playing. Uh, so that's cool. And then they finally showed off Shimigami Tensei 5, which has been... MIA since the original Switch presentation, like pres- yep. yeah, reveal from that January uh, Switch presentation 2017 or whatever generic name they gave it. Yeah, and that's also supposedly coming out next year, so I'm excited about that. It does yeah, feel like I- they threw a bone. They're like, oh, we're so sorry that five is taking so long, fans. Uh, so here's three, but it's also coming out right around the time of five. So just like, sorry, <laughs> but yeah, so but I, three I- is is very critically acclaimed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I do have a question for you, though, because you are a resident uh, Shimigami and Persona expert. What is the yeah. difference? <laughs> what, aside, like, aside besides one being a spinoff or... of the other, like what actually – so one's more of a traditional RPG and one's – like where do they – what no, is they're, the they're difference? Bo- they're, both, they're both sort of traditional RPGs with – I mean Persona is a spinoff of Shimigami Tensei. Right, and that's about as much as I knew. In a way, yeah. keep remembering his Persona thing. Yeah. From um, when we with Smash Brothers. Oh yeah, his Persona thing called a Persona. Yeah. 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 I'm not. But, uh, I'm not. I admit, I'm not well versed. That's why I'm asking the questions, the hard hitting questions. Yeah, Shimigami Tensei, the Shimigami Tensei games, lean much much darker than their Persona games. They are their themes are are definitely much heavier. It's more they're more nihilistic in a sense, and usually they're more they have more religious themes as well. Mm. So while Persona, a lot of pe a lot of uh, there's like an internal war on whether Shimigami Tensei or Persona is better. Mm-hmm. The Shimigami Tensei people are like, oh, Persona is just like watered down kitty, kitty <laughs> Shimigami Tensei. But, I mean, yeah, I, I guess that's all I can really say about it. Like, yeah, they're they're more nihilistic. They're more darker. Interesting. 
That's fine because yeah. uh, part of the reason I was asking is uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but Atlas seems to be, from what I can see from the outside here, it seems to be sort of splitting the series between different platforms. Like Persona, that seems to be very heavily on the PlayStation side, which is kind of funny because it maybe is the darker of the two. And like they get the core games, they get the upgrades like Five Royals back in March or whatever. At most, Nintendo's thrown like a spinoff here and there with the likes of you know Persona Five Scramble. Which uh, actually Koei Tecmo just confirmed in their financial report is going to be localized for the U.S. Uh, but you know no, they get that. Or like here. the 3DS gets like Persona Q, which is its own spin-off series. But then for the Kashima Guy Tensei, it's the exact opposite, where five is exclusive to Switch, four was exclusive to 3DS. They're sort of backporting the old ones like three um, to sort of catch the Nintendo side up. It's like it's it's like Atlas is doing the Divine Conquer strategy. Um, that I remember Square Enix used to do with Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy, where for quite a while, Dragon Quest saw new entries only on Nintendo systems, the DS, the Wii. Meanwhile, at most, Nintendo systems would get like Final Fantasy spinoffs or backports of, of older entries, while the new numbered games would be on PlayStation. That's loosened up a bit in recent years, but there seems to be this weird oddball like JRPG thing where you can't have multiple franchises of yours that... Uh, you know, on the same platform, they have to like conquer their own, and they'll like dabble in each other. But they're like the main line seem isolated, different platforms. And I think Atlas is now doing that. That's kind of the pattern I've noticed. And meanwhile, Microsoft doesn't get anything. Exactly, because Xbox they, never sells. Exactly, yeah. In Japan, Japan is, it's it's a joke essentially. The fact that um, Fantasy Star Online even exists on Xbox kind of blows my mind like they have two of them on xbox well well microsoft uh is powering that game's north american release with their uh, azure cloud oh i didn't know that you know maybe there's hope then because what brought it over in japan they both those final uh fantasy star games are coming to switch as cloud-based you stream them to your switch i wonder if microsoft would be open i'm guessing no but i'm wondering if they'd be open to letting sega do the cloud thing in the u.s with the one that they're powering and do it as kind of a plug for Microsoft services in the same way that, you know, we got like Ori and Cuphead and stuff. I'm guessing yeah, no. Probably not going to happen. But yeah, I can dream though. I mean, really, if, if Microsoft's going to throw us a bone, they should throw us the gunk or whatever that game's called uh, by Image Inform that they showed for uh, Xbox Series X. It's like Luigi's Mansion meets the, the, Mario Sunshine meets like Annihilation, that one sci-fi movie by uh, Alex Garland. Like Tom, it looks Alex Garland. Um... Yeah. I would be I would be okay with that on Switch, but that's never going to happen. I know that. I don't even think the Switch yeah. could handle it. But yeah, so I guess that that's Shimigami Tensei. But uh, Angel, was there anything of those five games that caught your eye? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> there was literally nothing. But I mean, I'm sure. I I hope those people that it did target are very happy. Yeah, yeah like I am. And that's what's so funny is like the Shimigami fans are like all like, "Oh my god, that was the greatest!" And then everyone else is like, "It was nothing." And I think, like, I think, frankly, the only other mini news of note, pun not intended, maybe it was intended, it might have been a little intended, was uh, Cadence of High Rules update. And for me, th- now this is a game I can never quite figure out the groove of. Like, I remember when I talked about playing it way back when it first came out, I kept circling around the point that everything about the game is so good and well done, I just outright suck at it because I have no rhythm. Did either of you ever play Cadence or uh, Crypto Necrodancer, which is the original version of the game? Negative. I did. I played Cadence. I mean, not Cadence. Um, Crypt of the Necrodancer. And you have better rhythm than me, right? So you're actually able to like enjoy it, right? It was, it was fun. Did you Did you ever consider Cadence, or were you good with just the the OG one, so to speak? 
kind of funny because you'd think I'd be all over these rhythm games of sorts, but surprisingly, no. I was just kind of like, eh, I'm good. I don't know why. I, I just didn't. I didn't feel like motivated to play them through or get more into them for some reason. I mean, reason. it's not it's not a regular rhythm game in the way that the others are. Like all the others are very like, you know, if you look at like Rhythm Thief or Rhythm Heaven or guitar hero or rock band like all those are very like you do a song yeah, it's, it's, and then you yeah, move it's a lin- on it's, a lin- a it's a linear game. path that you could yeah. basically memorize this is your it's it's like you're playing yeah. literally the legend of zelda but NES. to music to me yeah or yeah and, and that's what that's what sucks about because i thought it was such a cool concept and there's so much fan service and everything and then like i just don't have rhythm so i can't get into it and i think the worst part now is seeing that they're doing the season pass of three DLC packs for 15 bucks or six stars individually. And all the new content just further proves the point that they're doing everything right with the game, which just makes my suckiness stick out to me even more. Cause like each DLC packs have its own focus. Uh, the first one, it's already out. I think it introduces five new playable characters, each with their own gameplay quirk, like imp was playable for the first time. Shadow links playable. There's a new 20, 21 floor dungeon um, where you fight Ganon at the end. Like that's his big moment in the game. Finally, then like DLC pack two comes out that's a music pack. It's going to be 39 new songs and remixes, plus the ability to actually change any song in the background of the game as you play. So you can actually pick what you want here instead of just playing whatever they tell you you're going to play. And like, given how excellent the remixes it were in the base game, you know, just imagine how great it's going to be when they increase the soundtrack by literally 60% more music. And then there's the third DLC pack, which actually comes out, I think, in tandem with the second one at the end of October, maybe? And that one... It's a whole new story. It's about Skull Kid, who's arguably one of the most underutilized and, in my opinion, maybe underappreciated characters in all of Zelda. I think Skull Kid and all that weird stuff in Majora's Mask is great. And they're going to do a whole thing about him, and it's going to have new songs and a new map. And, like, all this stuff, I'm just watching the mini presentation and then, like, reading the press release. I'm just like, why can't I have more rhythm? Because that is super cool-looking stuff. <laughs> so as it stands, like, I have to kind of... Yeah, um, dude, it's torture. Like, there's like, a lot of problems in the world, but nothing is bad as not having rhythm and looking at what they're doing at Can't Spy Rule. Like, you have no idea. Like, you could argue that the present, that the direct mini was, you know, um, poor Jason. Too small, didn't have enough going on. What was that? No, I said poor Jason, 99 problems and rhythm, and rhythm is, is one. one. Yes, yeah. Like, so, I mean, I, honestly, the other problem with the direct mini is, um, they didn't really have anything else. Like, I understand. Like, in, in Do more think serious, they should have thing. just put out a press release. I mean, did they have? Did Nintendo? I, well, no. I think. I, so my my guess is they like this. I I would guess the partner showcase exists because Nintendo likely had marketing contracts uh, with different third party partners that needed to be fulfilled. They probably said, "Yeah, we'll put you in a direct. We'll showcase you in our presentations back before coronavirus." And now they're like. Uh, here you go. And that's probably why ultimately the whole presentation was basically the news you would see around Nintendo's own direct announcements, just without those first party announcements, which is fine. I think it's good that they're, you know, trying to throw a bone to these guys and still give them a video presentation versus coming up with some sort of press release or something. But what I'm confused by is why Nintendo, specifically Nintendo of America, only did the very bare minimum. I mean, the fact is, doing a presentation with five games total three of which we already knew about it's not really a good look and it's perplexing because there's so much stuff they could have also shown like they focus on let's say 2k's wwe battlegrounds right 
they completely ignored that the company that is making that 2k is releasing two other games between now and battlegrounds pga tour 20 uh 2k 21 and nba 2k 21 so why not do another like 2k heart switch sizzle reel with a focus on sports and show all three or you know they talked about rogue company being uh, out the day of the direct why not take a moment to also cover crisis remastered which was coming out three days later at the time the switch version unlike the other versions was not delayed because you know the concerns people have about graphics don't really apply on the switch so i don't know why they just like ignored all that and i think the most egregious ones like you could say okay maybe they didn't have marketing contracts with those guys or maybe whatever but i think the most egregious one uh ones plural were the games that got a feature in the japanese direct are coming to america and yet were left out of the north american direct yeah, like the no, Japanese kind of direct. So why not just show them here and make it a little Yeah, longer? like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered was in the Japanese direct. It's out later this month now. Why not highlight it? That's a pretty big re- like there's a lot of nostalgia around that game among Nintendo fans. That seems like a, a no-brainer. Or how about like uh, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin? A game that Nintendo previously covered back at E3 2019. It was in the Japanese direct where it got coverage in North America on the same day Exceed announced that's coming in, uh, coming stateside in November. It's got a swanky deluxe edition, like an art book and soundtracks and whatever. And then a couple hours after the Direct Mini, Nintendo even tweeted the news about Sakuna coming west. So why not put it in the show? Why not, if nothing else, pad your show? It makes no sense to me. And and they weren't the only ones. They weren't uh, the only ones with that problem either, because like Koei Tecmo, they had a game in the Japanese Direct. Um, I forgot what it was, but they had a game in the Japanese Direct. Uh, I think it's like it was a sequel to one that just came out on Switch in September last year. It's a super like Japan JRPG anime style game, uh, and their Twitter mm-hmm. account here in the US, I think it was um, Atelier or one of those Atelier oh, Two maybe no, that series. Atria, yeah, Atelier. Yeah, however you say it. Yeah, that oof, that series. Jesus Christ. What what's your concern with that? What what is why maybe this is why they didn't put it in the US one? What's what what's what what triggered that reaction? Compete with Shin Megami, I guess? That series has so many games. It's insane. Like, you thought Final Fantasy was was huge. <laughs> that that series has been around since forever. So then why not put it in the direct? Like literally Koei Tecmo in their American Twitter account, had to point to the Japanese Direct's timestamp and go, oh yeah, we announced this thing over there, but it's coming here. It's like, well, why did Nintendo not put it in? Or even, like, do a sizzle because reel it, that had if, it. If we're, if, we're, if, we're going, if we're going by what you said, that maybe that this was a partnership thing, maybe they just never had this as part of the partnership? Well, that, that's what I was thinking, but then why not you know, reach out. I mean, Nintendo knows every third-party game that comes to their platform. They they approve them all. They lock check them all. Why not reach out to some guys and say, "Hey, we're doing a presentation. We're doing it because we have these deals with these other companies, but we have some bandwidth. We have some room. We want to showcase some games because we're really quiet. Give us your games. We'll pick yours, 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 and yours." They just did, and and the Japanese did. That's why I don't get. And the European one for some of these, I think, did. So it's really strange that NOA is just like, "Nah, we're good." <laughs> like I, I don't know because this is Nintendo that we're talking about. I know. Nothing that they ever do makes sense. I know, and what I'm really hoping is like the they're saying this is going to be a new format. They're going to do more of these this year, so hopefully they flush it out. 
as they go, as they do more partner showcases. Um, it's just so odd to me, maybe because the tone doesn't make sense, that the company that basically pioneered the digital showcase format for gaming is now struggling with it when everyone else has finally caught up to them. Like, everyone else is finally at the point where they're doing what Nintendo has been doing since 2012. And yet Nintendo's suddenly like, well, how do we do this? How does this work? How do we do hype? I don't get it. Like, what happened? It's very strange. Um, that said, there is one other third-party announcement that is probably worth a mention. It's one that um, actually didn't happen with the Direct, but happened in conjunction with the Xbox Game Showcase, or the pre-show of the showcase, technically. Um, and that's an entire new platformer from Sonic creator Yuji Naka and the original designer of Sonic, uh, I forgot to write down his name. Well, the original designer of Sonic. And it's called... Man. It's uh, Oh, no, it's right here. Uh, Oshima. Naito Oshima. And it's called uh, Balon Wonderworld. It looks like Knights. Yeah. It basically is Knights. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, it is and it isn't. Yeah, because you're not flying. You're actually platforming. Like, I'm not really sure where to properly begin with it. Because, like, gameplay-wise... It seems to have some pretty cool ideas. Like it, it, feature, it, it looks like a relatively straightforward 3D platformer, but the hook is that you unlock and use 80 different costumes, each of which grants your character new abilities, um, like walking on air, or manipulating time, or ground pounding, or ice skating, or what have you. And you change these abilities on the fly as you go through all the 12 different worlds of the game. Uh, but what's kind of different about it is because this is being published by Square Enix, uh, that means the production values are going to be through the roof, and the plot is... Very Square Enix-y, I'd say. Like, the concept is that whenever someone encounters a hardship in life, they end up in a musical theater called the Balon Theater. And there, a character with essentially a top hat for a head named Balon, he sort of serves as a maestro of sorts as you go through the game and help these people. Uh, and it's all inspired by musical theater, to the point that they even hired singers from London's West End to sing the songs in the game. But anyway, you go through, you know, you go through these different worlds or musical numbers or whatever, and you're helping 12 different people overcome emotional struggles and negativity but it looks like restoring hearts to their something i don't really know but like the theme <laughs> of each world like the theme of each world and presumably the bosses are all tied into whatever that particular negativity they have is and it kind of i mean what did you guys watch the trailer what do you think of it i mean i watched the trailer um i mean character design wise i mean things are very interesting mm -hmm. but it's really hard to say or see if this game will be fun yeah it's just it's just really hard to say it's it's, it's weird kevin did you see it at all yeah i got huge uh bully hatcher vibes nope. out of it <laughs> i got a huge nope out of me <laughs> i i noped out <laughs> so hard yeah i i kind of picked up on the billy hatcher thing too both in character design a little and um if i remember correctly billy hatcher was very much you collect different eggs and they, they give you different abilities this seems to just be doing costumes instead of eggs right yeah. Yeah. So, and and Billy Hatcher's fun. Like it's it's a very underrated GameCube game. So there, that gives me a little hope. But yeah, it, it the thing I got out of the trailer myself is it's very ambitious looking. Like Square Enix put out a video where they spent a good five minutes discussing just the visual style and how they needed to stand out from Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and draw inspiration from both art styles and take the cool tones of this and the warm hues of that. And then there's the music, which is you know they hired London West End, like I was saying, and the and the um. The composer is like pointing out how he doesn't even know what exactly the music he is supposed to make is because Naka gave him too vague of a description. But he had fun. It should be good. You'll see. And like it all had this very like high budget vibe. But then they didn't really show a whole lot of gameplay. Like from what I could tell, like it's wearing its inspiration on its sleeve. We already mentioned Billy Hatcher and Knights. 
I would say there's a little Mario Odyssey in there too, somewhat with the music focus because you know Odyssey's marketing was so heavily New Donk C and that jazz club, but somewhat just like the world layouts and stuff kind of gave me a bit of a Mario Odyssey vibe. But yeah, it's um, it is kind of hard to tell because they spent so long talking about the production values and nothing really about the gameplay, which on some level makes sense because. I feel like platformers in general, usually it's the gameplay that comes first and the production is usually second. Like, there's very few super high production platformers these days. There's Crash, there's Mario, sort of Sonic. So I could see why they were like, this is how we're screenixifying a platformer. But yeah, I kind of wish we saw more gameplay. Like, I'd say I'm intrigued yeah. at this point. Um, I like the concept. That's I just see if the it. gameplay intrigued. matches it. Intrigued is good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So. So yeah, I, I thought it was worth a shout out though, because like the pedigree involved, and you know the the fact that it is essentially referencing games that have been on Nintendo systems. I mean, we got a night sequel on Wii. I don't know if you remember that. So yeah, it's 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 very much it's kind of like that Jet Set Radio game that isn't, and it was announced like a day apart from that. So you know, I'm talking about Cyberfunk. That game looks dope. Yeah, it, it's something something Cyberfunk. Yeah, it's like but... Bomb Squad Cyberfunk or something. <laughs> Maybe not Bomb yeah, Squad, that's cool. a little weird. But yeah, that looks cool. That one looks like a walking copyright like lawsuit. I don't know how... It's like it's not even like a shame to be basically the same thing. But I guess they probably scurried just far enough around it. But yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's all the news that Nintendo and its partners wanted us to know. But of course, there has been a uh, massive story circulating the web this past week that I'm sure Nintendo never wanted to happen. The uh, so-called GigaLeak. The origins aren't exactly known. Um, it seems to stem from clearly some sort of hack of Nintendo's internal servers, but it's a treasure trove of game source code, unused assets, marketing materials, all this stuff from the Super Nintendo and early N64 era. And I don't know, have you guys been following it at all? Like, do you have any highlights that you've seen of cool things that came out of I it? I mean, like, how you feeling I've about just it? seen the, I haven't seen too much of it. I mean, I've just seen the highlights mainly, you know, I mean, who didn't see Slim Yoshi or Smoking Toad? But, actually, actually, Smoking Toad, that's a deep cut of the leak, to be honest. That did not get the same rounds. Did you see think Smoking Toad? See, so Smoking Toad isn't Smoking Toad isn't uh, Origami King? Sadly, no. That's considered a character uh, a character trait add-on that they probably blocked. But yeah, that, that one's so weird because it's like, I don't even know what game that's supposed to be, but it's just like a building. It looks like an apartment building. Actually, it looks like Nintendo's headquarters building. It, it looked like Super Nintendo Sim City. Yeah, and, and then like they have like these little sprites of different characters. So there's Mario who's shirtless. There's Peach and Bowser who are sharing a balcony. There's Toad who's smoking, and it's just very weird. <laughs> like it, yeah. Some of, like some of the stuff in the leak is weird. That one's weird. Um, I think. Like, one odd thing I really appreciate is that we're getting all these, like, high-res marking materials for N64-era games, um, which I know sounds absolutely silly to care about. But when I was a kid, I spent more time than I care to admit uh, saving, like, crappy low-res GIFs and JPEGs of character art from Nintendo's official sites. Like, I have a hard drive somewhere, external somewhere, that's just full of, like, 120 by 90 fuzzy GIF Marios and Kirbys and whatnot. And even though, like, I don't need this art now, I don't know why I did then, just knowing that there's high-res versions of, like, the crisp Mario 64 cartridge art or the box art or even the templates for the overlays of those, like, childhood me was very happy to see that. But, um, 
In terms of like actual game content, yeah, it's so you have, neither of you have been following it too much, or well, Kevin, have you followed it at all? Angel said not too much, but I've I followed some of it. Anything cool jump at you? No, not really. I, I think it is cool that um, Nintendo has been saving these assets for so long. Yeah, and like high how uh, high quality they are. Yeah, it's uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's like, it's. Why were they saving them? Though? I wonder what they were. Well, they're just, they, they never. Well, Nintendo never gives up on an idea, so they probably just kept these around for archival purposes. If they want to go back and revisit anything, because there's some like cool stuff in there. I mean, some of it maybe you don't necessarily need. Like, do we need the beta sprites from Pokemon Diamond and Pearl? I don't know. Or like the many, many designs of Yoshi. I think once they got past weird thin lizard man, they probably didn't need to do much with that. But you know, on the gameplay side, it's cool that like there was a demo of Yoshi's Island where the mechanic for Baby Mario falling off Yoshi is totally different. It's uh like he just crawls around and doesn't cry and then you have these little ta- these little clocks shedding off of Yoshi instead. Where, you know, in the final game, obviously, he's in a bubble and he's screaming at you and there's a time limit. So it's just interesting to, like, see the different iterations. Of course, there's some stuff in there that we already knew about in some form. Like, Mario 64, um, that and Luigi were trending because when people found Luigi's assets in the game's source code, they pieced him back together and, you know, the internet freaked out because that old rumor of L is real 2047 uh, was essentially proven based on this leak. But if you actually go read old Iwata Ask interview back... Uh, from back in the day Miyamoto discussed at one point that Luigi was in fact in the game like this is a known thing he was going to be in multiplayer they couldn't figure out how to do the camera to stretch to fit both him and Mario in frame so they dropped him so like that one wasn't a surprise but it's still really cool to see okay here's Luigi in his final form inside Mario 64 um but yeah I think I think for me the whole thing it's like how like art historians um can like x-ray a world famous painting and see past iterations of the art underneath the layers of paint. Like, it just gives like this really cool look at how the games were made, how the devs got to what we all know and love so much. And from a sort of like game history and preser- preservation perspective, um, it's really like kind of incredible to suddenly have all this. Like especially when you consider games we never knew existed that apparently were in the works at one point. Like there's a game that's been kind of dubbed Super Donkey, which seems to be a mix of like Rayman with like yeah. a Yoshi's Island aesthetic. Or there's a prototype I saw flowing around of a hockey-based NES RPG. So, like, that's stuff we never knew about. Or, like, even Star Fox 2. Like, we did eventually get it. But there's history in the assets in the leak that showed that at one point Star Fox would have human characters. There's a human woman in Star Fox 2 at one point. You know, and they, and they obviously didn't continue that route. And there's weird things, like just pieces of history. Like, there's a 3D polygonal render of what looks to be the very first pass at doing a 3D link. I mean, granted, it's a couple triangles from, like, 1994 that are just the right colors to be his hat and his sword. But still, it's, like, the very first polygonal render Nintendo made, and it's just in there. It's all really fascinating. But the problem is, of course, it wasn't obtained legally. It wasn't obtained properly. This is all unauthorized. It's very much illegal. I can't even imagine the nightmares it's causing for, like, Nintendo devs and uh, the company itself. Like, first off, it's not, like, only cool assets leaked. There's private communications, there's personal emails, all sorts of stuff in there. Uh, and some of those could probably hurt people's future job uh, prospects. Like there's inappropriate jokes and comments in the source code. Uh, there's, you know, things that were tried and failed. There were un- there were tools that didn't work. And other stuff could lead to fans even second-guessing gameplay decisions that did work out and did get turned into what we now play. You know, they can go in and essentially criticize devs for making decisions they made 
which not only hurts the devs' own confidence in their own decisions and can potentially be self-doubt for future decision-making, but, like, the stress of having fans now bombard you on Twitter. Like, hey, why'd you do this instead of this? Why'd you do this instead of that? That was a bad choice. You should have done the other thing. Like, this is a very real concern that um, Dylan Cuthbert, who is head of Q Games now, but was the lead programmer on Star Fox 1 and 2, you know, way back in the day, he already on Twitter has expressed that this is happening and it's really frustrating. And to the point before of, you know, what's Nintendo doing with all this stuff, there are maybe ideas in there that Nintendo wanted to keep close to their chest to revisit later. Like, they never give up on an idea. The e-reader became Amiibo. The Game Boy GameCube became DS and Wii U. Like, what, you know, the the connectivity. Now these ideas, while well, granted are not huge ones, they're kind of open season. Like, they're out there. Competitors can do stuff with it. They're not trade secrets anymore. They're around. So it's a real... Like, I'm, I'm very torn on how I feel about the leak as much as I love what's in it. Like, I mean, generally speaking, like... And especially you, I'd imagine, because you do a lot of stuff with animation and you, like, the art world. Like, is it... Does it... How sucky is this from the perspective of a creator, would you say? Mm, I mean, it could go both ways. I mean... It does seem like in the animation and just art world in general, people are very sensitive about their art, mm-hmm. like extremely sensitive. So something like this coming out, and then if they just so happen to be looking at comments, and a lot of them are saying, like, oh, man, like this Yoshi's way better. Like, I can't believe we ended up with this other one. Then that could suck. On the other hand, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's really hard to say just because this is like such a long time ago that, you know, like this thing happened. Right. But um, it's interesting. I mean, I feel I, it definitely feels like it does more harm than good from the artist from the art perspective point of view. Because I mean, yeah, Nintendo's been saving these, but we don't really know the exact reason why. For all we know, it could have just been like a lot of these just weren't ready to be shown or just weren't like right for other reasons. So I don't know. It's it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and the, the moral ambiguity of it, too, is just kind of weird, because it's like you're sort of, like, invading their privacy, but sort of not. Like, I mean... When, yeah, I mean, if they yeah. really want to see this, they would have shown it to us already. I mean, we don't... Yeah, we just don't know. Right, and, and that's kind of the thing. Is like, as someone who does love to follow, or I guess you could even say study, in my case, um, Nintendo history, like, I'm, I'm really torn about this, because, like, on the one hand, it is nice to know that Nintendo keeps such star records. It means that they can keep doing stuff like those official art books of which I own, I don't know, six, seven, eight, something like that. And to be fair, like a good number of the assets get in those books. But on the other hand, to your point about like they maybe didn't want to show us, it's all very sanitized. You know what I mean? Like those books don't show the level of iterative processes. They may not show the equivalent of how we see now that Mario World, at one point Mario's going to have wings instead of a cape, you know, something that was real and in the Giga Leak. Uh, we only see a concept art stage of something. So we'll see a sketch of what they're going to do with Mario Odyssey. But they're not going to show us the equivalent of Link sprites uh, having blood on them, which is something else that linked uh, that leaked, I mean. Or, you know, the five stages of the Yoshi design. They'll be like, this is Yoshi. This is the official look. We'll show you some, like, variants of that look, but we're not going to show you Crazy Lizard Man. So hmm. this does give us a peek behind that. But to keep, like, the book analogy going, I'd say, like, the leak more closely is the equivalent of those unofficial, like, Nintendo history books. The kind of, like, you know the uh, they tell it more how it was uh, warts and all than if Nintendo itself published its own history. They're you know they're unsanctioned interviews, their research, their legal documents obtained, that sort of thing. And this kind of feels like that, where in both cases it's really a good peek behind 
like how Nintendo came to be and what they do. And there's some really great books that do this. Like there's one excellent one um, called Game Over, How Nintendo Conquered the World. It's by a guy named David Sheff. And I read this way back in the early 2000s. I want to say it's like 2001 or something. I was like 12 or 13. And it covered the rise of Nintendo in arcades and the NES and the Super Nintendo and a bit of the N64. And it talked a lot about the decision makers at the time and, you know, interviewed them. Like it talked to people from early days of NOA. And there's a similar book about the Wii era called Nintendo Magic by a guy named uh, Osamu uh, – no, I've got to try to say his last name. Inoue, I-N-O-U-E, Angel, Japanese, I-N-O-U-E. That's not right. I-N-O-U-E. Well, that's Inoue. the spelling. Inoue. Osamu Inoue. Okay. Uh, when yeah, he, pronounce it like you would in Spanish. That doesn't help me because I don't know Spanish either. Yeah. <laughs> but um, – yeah, like that's a book that similarly covered like the the Wii and how it overcame competition with Sony and Microsoft and talked to people. And, you know, then there's other books like Console Wars about the Nintendo-Sega rivalry in the 90s, which is now actually being adapted to be a CBS All Access TV show. So, you know, there's already these sort of tellings of Nintendo's history, and this is kind of like the visual version of that. And the fact that these all exist and it's possible, that, like that's why I'm so excited about the announcement the other day that Viz Media is actually going to translate and localize the Iwata-san book from Japan under the new name of Ask Iwata. Uh, I tweeted when it was announced that, and I, but I'm dead serious about this. I plan to read that book in like a single sitting in one go because that's like the only other time I've done that. Is Harry it's a very nice looking book for sure. Yeah, and it's like it's just really cool because it's straight from his mouth. It's design philosophies that shaped a lot of the crucial era of Nintendo. There's interviews with Miyamoto. There's interviews with Earthbound's uh, creator, who's a good friend of Iwata. Um, and it's about working with him, you know, the anecdotes about his development background, kind of a peek behind the curtain that isn't necessarily like sanitized Nintendo's view, but still it's what people are comfortable saying, which all these books, the through line is they talk to people, they got documents and everything, but it was all like above board. It was what they're comfortable saying and expressing and sharing. And I think that's where I draw the line with the leaks and how comfortable I am with them um, as a person that like, is I'm you know consuming them is if the developers themselves put out this stuff like how artists will sometimes show concept art for abandoned projects that's one thing if someone wants to go around and get the leak sanctioned before releasing them that's another thing sure why not uh that's never gonna happen but bear with me here where it gets messy is nobody involved in making those things that got leaked wanted them out there no it just like happened like nobody like sat down with someone and said sure put it in a book or said sure make it a cbs show or whatever or yeah throw me in the iwata biography it just happened and i think that's what makes it so much more awkward even though ultimately it is just the visual version of those unofficial history of nintendo books that are so good so it's a weird it's a weird situation and i i don't know like what sucks about it is that there's no way to really tell what the blowback will be. Like, do you guys have any I, – like, what do you anticipate happening? How do you think Nintendo's going to respond, if at all, at this point? With a bunch of lawsuits. Wouldn't <laughs> they have already Well, that's what's interesting. Is, or they so, can't do anything until it's actually being sold. I mean, I feel well, like if they it was going to be taken cease, down, it would have already. They could send cease and desist, which apparently they haven't done yet, which is interesting. But uh, I imagine. I mean, probably gonna... no. Maybe they got permission. I mean, you said no. Viz is publishing this. No, 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 not the Iwata book. The leaks. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm, I don't know. I don't think even then. I, if Nintendo hasn't already, pretty much what I already said. I if think they haven't already done so already. Then they might just 
leave it as is. Maybe if new ones pop up, maybe they might stop those. But I think it is hard to put damage the back in the bottle. Yeah, my my gut yeah, tells me. Been... Or go ahead. It'd be nice if they double down and just be like, "Hey, you saw these? Here's some other ones." But... That yeah, because my my gut tells me they're, that what Nintendo's gonna do is clamp down. And, you know, in their mind, rightfully so, because they, they had their privacy invaded, essentially. So it would make sense from their perspective to, you know, put these assets on a tire leash. Um, like, it, maybe they don't even store them long-term at all, which sucks because from a preservation perspective, it's going to be harder to trace the history of major milestone games, ones that, you know, define gaming decades from now, if Nintendo's just like, you know what, we're just let's just delete things when we don't need them anymore. And uh, you could argue in some ways that Nintendo like brought this on themselves because like if they weren't so secretive in the first place and maybe were a bit more open about um, sharing some of the behind the scenes stuff, there wouldn't have these wouldn't have spread like wildfire in the same way. Let no that let's not let's not go that. No, way. no, no. What I was gonna say. Hold on. I, I, what I'm gonna say is I don't think they could go full on. Here's every iteration of everything, but. You know, their art books could, if they wanted to, include the different forms of Yoshi. And then when this leaks with prototypes of Yoshi, it wouldn't be trending on every single platform. It's not their fault this happened. They have all the rights to be as upset as they are or, you know, as secretive as they are. I'm just saying, like, they could have, you know, if they tipped their hand on one or two little things that don't affect them, this would have blown over a lot smoother than it did, probably. But if I were Nintendo and my, you know, secrecy was, this did happen, I would absolutely recoil. Like, I wouldn't. You know, they have all the right to. It's their property. My twisted, unrealistic hope is what Angel said, which is that if Nintendo sees how much uh, people are into these leaks, maybe they do open up a bit mm -hmm. more. Maybe they, they do start to showing. It. That's what I'm getting You're at. Maybe they do sure, show more behind-the-scenes stuff a la a lot of asks. Like, maybe they do agree to do more in-depth art books and making up books. Maybe they do show the iterations of Yoshi and things because those are the things that people, like, latch on to. And Nintendo has in the past, like I said, they did openly admit Luigi was in Mario 64 at one point. So, like, you know, they could put that out there in some ways and actually make money off it and then not have the crazy, you know, trade secret nightmare when the other stuff leaks because it wouldn't get nearly the same attention. And they could maybe – what would be really cool is if maybe they at some point do a documentary about a game's development. Like Jeff Keighley does these with those final hours uh, videos and articles he puts together because, like, we're already nitpicking – everything nintendo does so why not give us a peek into why they do what they do in a way that isn't necessarily gonna you know blow up in their face there are opportunities there are channels they can go through if they want to open up and i'm hoping them seeing how many people are interested might encourage them to do so but in my heart i know they're going to recoil and lock down even tighter and get more secretive so but that that's yeah, that, I guess that's kind of all I had to say about the leaks. I, th I think it's a good question to end on, actually, is, um, you know, we spent the last hour and 53 minutes nitpicking Nintendo, and we're going to keep doing it next episode with whatever they're willing to give us, be it announcements, games, who knows. But wouldn't it be nice if they shared a little along the way, like actually kind of brought back I want to ask in a more dramatic, bigger fashion where, like, they are addressing the fact that there's this huge desire to learn how they do things because i mean like even disney like has documentaries about their animation and stuff like it's, it's doable it's just will they so they won't they won't i know but i want them to um so yeah, yeah the thing i could ever see them doing is just like maybe recording the process of them making games and then maybe like and this is like being like generous like maybe five or six or seven years after the game comes out then releasing that one yeah. That way you see, like, oh, this is the making of... Like, maybe right now they probably release, like, the making of Mario Galaxy. And see, that'd be and cool. And it's already super outdated. 
And that would be cool, but that's like the only way I see them doing anything. Yeah, no, there's no way they're going to. Yeah, but but yeah, yeah I think and even I, then, like I'm sure there's stuff in there that they still don't want to see. Of course, and yeah. they and they still you know lock that down. But if they're like, yeah, so Yoshi went through some design changes. Here's what they looked like in a documentary when the email dump comes out a year later that has those Yoshi design trends not or changes. Not as many people are going to necessarily download it and dig through everything and find the bad content in there, the stuff that they actually want to hide because the lead is already out there on Nintendo's own terms. So, I don't know, just just food for thought, I guess. But yeah, we uh, whatever happens with Nintendo going forward, we're, I guess we'll cover. Is there anything else you guys want to cover this episode before we wrap it up? Any more nitpicks? It's been a big episode of nitpicks. Mm, I don't think on my head right now is that nitpick sounds like the name of a character in something. I kind of like that for a name, nitpick. It does, mm. actually. Sounds like the name of a mouse. In an animated movie. I could see that. And he's a really good locksmith, and he helps them get into rooms they can't get in. Now, you I mean, think it also sounds like the base form. It's got a nice crunch to it. What? Like nitpick, you know? Just, it's got a nice crunch it to does. it. It does. It really does. Yeah. It also, does kind of sound like, it also kind of sounds like the base form of a Pokemon or something. But... Yeah. It evolves mm-hmm. into a... Uh, what would be the evolution of nitpick? Oh. I mean, what do you do after nitpick? I mean, I thought nitpick is usually the... The most extreme version? Yeah, well, nitpick, I guess you, yeah, I guess it just it, gets it broader would, and broader. Like it, it would start like at pickets and then slowly evolve into nitpick <laughs> before its final form, Twitter mob. Okay, well, there goes that joke. Ah, yeah. Well, it was good while well, it lasted. Sure was. I'm just gonna wrap it then before I make it worse. So, what our a, hmm. what a type would nitpick be? Dark electric <laughs> dark. Oh yeah, dark. Ooh, yeah, dark ele- 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 electric dark. It sounds kind of cool. There aren't that many. Has there ever been an electric dark Pokemon? Uh, not off the top of my head. I think there is a new one, or it's one of like the few typings that don't exist. Yeah, uh, I like it. Two. Would that be Gen <laughs> eight, seven? What gen are we on? Gen nine. Mm, gen nine. Nine. So, you know, if you send it to uh... Nintendo, it could get leaked <laughs> in about fifteen years. So. Ah. Just wait. 15 years from now, people will be like, why didn't they do that? Could happen. But yeah, our next episode is well before that. Uh, Our next episode is going to be in two weeks on August 16th. I don't know what we're going to talk about. We'll see. It's a mystery to everybody. Uh, I I don't even know if we're going to have anything to talk about this week, but somehow things barely happened. Enough happened. Enough happened. We had a lot of games, actually. But yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Enough happened to fill in two hours as usual. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You'd be surprised. Well, You'd be surprised. That tends to happen. To and anytime, like, we f- it feels like we have, like, a low news week, we still manage to always fill it up. That's the thing about Nintendo is there's always so much going on because there's so many games. We like, literally even have nothing well, now, though. Well. What can you think about that we can talk about right now, just off the top of your head? Uh, if anyone buys uh, any, like, Killer a Mario Queen sets, DLC? Killer Queen DLC. I stole his answer. All right. A full two hours on Killer Queen DLC. We'll, we'll uh, really milk it. So whoever wants to hear Killer Queen DLC for a full two hours, August 16th is how you can catch it. Uh, it you can follow us on Twitter. Make sure you don't miss it at Ram Nintendo. You can subscribe to us on all the podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, uh, Stitcher. We're also on YouTube. RamNintendo.com is our channel. And it's also good to follow those so you don't miss our next Quarantine Chronicles, which is our sub-show on the off weeks, uh, where we also, who knows what we'll talk about, but it, it's a fun adventure to figure it out along the way. So, uh, yeah, you can catch all that. You can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm JSR7. 
Angel's Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. Uh, Kevin, I guess, final word? Nitpick for Gen 9, baby.